And Desmond must be like, Charlie? Excuse <laughs> me? You Like, you called me over here to talk to my girlfriend who I'm very excited about, and then you lock me out of the room? Slam a door in my face. You're an asshole. Hello and welcome to Our Lost Podcast, brought to you by the Aficionados Podcast Network. My name is Raman Jeffrey. I'm a 27-year-old actor and artist. I like brooding anti-heroes, feminist agendas, and I remember way too many details that no one else cares about. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey pretty much everywhere, and our fun fact for this episode is, what do you do on a very long walk? Due to the survivors this episode, going on a very long walk. Indeed. But they started literally last episode. Indeed. It's been a long time. I cannot be alone with my own thoughts. So I have to be listening to, I usually listen to um, a podcast or an audiobook while I'm walking, mm-hmm. um, especially, and, and like even when I'm on the bus and stuff, um, because if I listen to music, I will dance. Yes. Yeah. So I have to be listening to something that is talking. And sometimes I do laugh in the middle of, of and no one else can hear what I'm laughing at, mm-hmm. but it's better than dancing. Is it for the passing motorists? I feel like you would just add so much to their daily commute. No, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair mm-hmm. yeah just see a girl dancing on the street living a best life yeah. unfortunately i don't think i'm a very talented dancer so i think uh no exactly yeah not with that attitude you're not uh, it the it's in the eye of the beholder i think yeah we're gonna so think you so you think you can dance you this entire way we're just gonna encourage you to yeah, yeah. All, right, mm. all right i'm so glad this is an audio podcast yeah <laughs> Phew. so everyone can see this yeah. My name is Casey Wall. I'm a 25-year-old writer from Rhode Island. I like sapphic ships and making astrological charts for fictional characters. You can follow me on Twitter at CaseyWatchesTV or at LFCandleCo, where I make pop culture-inspired candles. PSA, I'm currently battling the COVID. Um, I'm on, like, day five, though, so I'm not coughing too much. Uh, but I apologize for any coughs that do make it in. I just got back from Ireland and it was great, except they gave me COVID. So clearly <laughs> Irish is canceled. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Irish. <clears throat> on a walk, I am also a big podcast fan. I'm always listening to podcasts. Like I listen to a podcast every morning when I'm getting ready, when I drive to work usually on my lunch break, then when I drive home from work. I just, I love podcasts Mm -hmm. because like sometimes with music, I just like, I do get into my thoughts and I'm just like, oh no, don't, don't want that. So I need to be Mm -hmm. like actively engaged with something somehow. So podcasts are my choice. I I haven't ventured into the audiobook territory yet, Mm -hmm. but I feel like everyone around me is and I should probably get on that train i recommend it i i talked a little bit about this on a riverdale podcast recently but i i use a an an app called libby so it basically is just a library Mm -hmm. thing so i don't you know my problem with audible and audible is great but after i finished a book they're like you own it and i'm like i don't need to own it i i read it oh yeah it's like i don't need to you know it's over own a non-tangible object exactly so what's nice about libby is that i mean sometimes you have to wait because there are, are holds on it and everything and you know they only have a certain amount of copies at your library but what's nice about it is then after you're done you're like okay and then you give it back and then Mm. you get a new one and it's all free that's so cool i recommend yeah you only have 21 days to to listen to it but usually they're not too long the ones you pick so it's not Mm -hmm. awesome that's pretty cool yeah and our guest this episode is erin now you guys might notice because at the end of last episode i said that our guest was going to be the incomparable joe garfine and of course she is incomparable but unfortunately she had a, a family emergency and we tried to reschedule once but then things sort of took a turn for the worst 
worse and Joe decided to drop out and um, that's completely fine and so we just wanted to first of all dedicate this episode to um, Joe's family member um, that she lost recently and also say such a huge thank you to Aaron for um, stepping in last minute. And it's time. Yes. Oh my god, Aaron, I have to tell you, Robin was panicking. Oh, baby, no. I was. Like, I was. If you, if you, well, the thing is, I've already scheduled the next one, so it's like, this is the day it has to happen. Yeah. If you have never seen a panicked Robin, I, I hope you never have to, because it's just, it's so sad, because you just want to, like, make it okay. And then Aaron came and made everything okay. <laughs> oh, I just, I just get excited when I get a chance to, like, nerd out with my faves <laughs> TV. That's, like, that's joy to me, so made my day. Love that. Aww. So, I- introduce yourself. We had Aaron yes. on, um, for our three. Yeah. Five podcast, I believe it was the Echo, the last Echo episode, but that was such a long time ago. So if you'd introduce yourself again, that'd be great. I am happy to. So my name is Erin Brown. So I am a writer and reviewer. I am based in a town called Wagga Wagga, which is in Australia, in New South Wales. Oh God, I just, I'm obsessed <laughs> with that. Every I ha- I'm sorry, I just have to say every time I see you like post something on Instagram and the location yes, is Wagga hilarious. Wagga, I'm like I can't believe that's a real place. You guys, not only did Erin show up at a last minute but she's also coming to us live at 7 a.m on a monday morning and just i can't tell you how much i appreciate you an icon i just just doing this it's just bonkers it's funny there's there's very few people that i will get up this early in the morning for but you guys i would i would do that for and so um it's it's good that i um it's because i come from a town called wagga wagga it literally just it sounds like i don't know if you're a muppets fan i'm a massive muppets fan and my favorite muppet is fozzy and fozzy is well known for saying waka 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 which is reduced so mm. the fact that I come from a town that it sounds like just feels like it just fits for me <laughs> so I'm just a mu- Muppet in the morning yeah <laughs> new fun fact what's your favorite Muppet he just I spiritually <laughs> connect with him he makes sense to me <laughs> I love that for you but yeah so I am I just turned 40 on the weekend which was amazing and I'm very very excited about that um so I have the collective maturity of either a bottle of red wine or a strong cheddar really does depend on the day so I sort of where lost sort of comes into it for me it's because I love writing and I love reading and I just love great storytelling a story like lost is just like catnip to me plus two as you can tell by these two beautiful humans I'm talking to I get to hang out with the coolest people and get to talk about it it's it's true it's true like (laughs) solidarity my gorgeous nerds um and so my favorite character is um hair king of my dreams desmond um, i love him i don't think we could ever i don't like Amazing. if there was ever a situation where you could be in a relationship with a character i love desmond but i don't think we could be in a relationship because we would fight too much over hair product mm-hmm. i completely agree i, I would oh, not yeah. get along with that oh, like unless i could go out no. every morning and literally look like first prize at the county state fair for the most attractive like dog because i was just so well groomed like no <laughs> that reminds me like i i love sawyer so much but he would annoy me to no end if i mm-hmm. had to actually hang out with him, me though. too because I feel like a lot of our conversation would be, babe, wash your hair. If, if like, like, if. Yeah, that's <laughs> enough. Take a shower. Exactly. Like, do you ever have that moment where you're like, look at all these other people on the island. They still manage to have herbal essences hair, but mm-hmm. you, greasy, grease monkey. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, if you're looking for me, if you're looking for me online, you can find me on Twitter at Speedmouse, or I have started doing a bit of photography. So you can find me on Instagram at Erin May, uh, E-R-I-N-M-A-Y dot photography. And that's where you can find me. That's me. I'm about to go follow that. I'm going to go follow you right now. Have fun. Well, I've got my, I've got my other, uh, my other one that I use, but I have, um, I, I am a fun auntie. And I love posting photos with um, my three nieces and my nephew. Um, but I'm just very protective of them online. So I've got like my one account that I've got, but my other one is for all of my um, sunset photos and yep. occasional website posts. And then Erin, what do you do on a long walk? Uh, what do I do on a long walk? I Well, I'm a bit different. I do actually really love Audible. I listen to, I listen mm. to audiobooks. My mum is a massive audiobook fan and she got me got me into stuff. So I, I treated myself to Audible and I have been getting into a lot of nonfiction books. So um, my my biggest, Brene Brown was the first one that I sort of really got into to start listening to stuff. Um, and the one that I'm doing at the moment, oh my gosh, like it's total free plug, but it's it's a game-changing book. It's a book by Simu Liu called We Were Dreamers. Mm. If you don't know him, he's the, he's the first Asian Marvel superhero who plays Shang-Chi. And it is just this phenomenal book. But the danger with me when I go for walks, because I don't drive, I have a form of epilepsy. So if ever I zone out, that's this, that's just what's happening. Brain short circuiting. It's lots of fun. But uh, I have to be careful when I take my audiobooks because I apparently, I don't know what it is, a switch has been flipped. But now I, if I suddenly listen to something that makes me emotional, I will cry mm-hmm. randomly. Oh, so no. um, Simu Lu actually made me cry in the deli last weekend. Oh, not in the deli. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I was in shopping buying things uh, buying, buying things to take out to dinner and, uh, and and then he was reading his own audio book and then he started crying and then I started crying and then I'm just standing there between like sweet potatoes and zucchinis waiting to get ham for small children's pizzas and then I just started crying in the middle of the supermarket. Oh, and I no. Off. I have absolutely cried in an audiobook. He just, it, but I, I think there's, I, I really love hearing writers read their own stuff because I think when you have someone else, read that's it, what's nice about nonfiction. Oh, that's cool. It is, and you can, you can hear them like the, the intonation that they meant to. They, they mean to put on particular words mm-hmm. and so stuff comes out exactly the way that it they meant it to yeah and it's yeah. really moving particularly when someone similar is a really interesting one because he's he's very funny but very articulate and and it's really it's really moving and you find it's it's very strange you can sort of have this complete stranger but you connect with him on a really human level and it is literally just like hanging out with a friend and it's yeah so audiobooks get into them kids i i think i have to now <laughs> you will i think you'd really i think you'd really love them and I think what's really good as well is that particularly too because like with with shows like Lost and stuff like that you can spend a lot of time in fictional worlds but I think it is really helpful too to step out and hear real life stories yeah it's nice after doing so many like I mean you know some podcasts like this one are really really long but a lot of podcasts are you know short form and so it's Mm. nice to also be listening to such a long form thing Mm -hmm. I I'm also really excited because you know for the longest time you know in college and everything I stopped reading and I was not in like the zeitgeist of what people were reading these days and now I'm so tuned into what's 
doing that. I have <laughs> yeah. so many recommendations. That's amazing. It's not. It's nice too, though, because I I think you know when COVID happened, in case you'll be feeling this at the moment. I think if you've gone through your your isolation period, what's really fascinating is that when everybody went into lockdown, the people that we turned to, as amazing as you know, accountants are and um, human resources are, and you know all these different things, we turned to our storytellers. Yes, you know they they were the people that we whether it was through the books that we read the podcasts we listened to tv shows movies whatever it was we latched on to human stories because we didn't want to feel alone and more than that we wanted to remember what hope felt like because i think we did as a society just feel really quite desperate and isolated and and cut off from relationship and so that's one of the things why you know i love the fact too that you've got a podcast like this one that does go back and revisit old stories you know because they they do they did really impact you and I think the stories that you tell you kind of take on a little bit of them and they they shape who you are as a person as you move forward so you know I think um I love the fact that when you've evolved as a human being and all those years down the track the person that you've become looks back on why that story was important to you at that time I think it's hugely important so please keep making this like ever. um okay i will oh, that's so beautiful yeah <laughs> i'm gonna start crying right now that was beautiful do it we're not on video baby it's fine it's yeah. true <laughs> i could be crying already and you guys just wouldn't know <laughs> it's true i wouldn't know <laughs> but uh but let's get started uh, casey it is your line try not to cry through it <clears throat> today we have words to say about episode 323 of lost through the looking glass part two finale three. okay so i was about to say three reason Reason C. Se- Reason C. Season three finale. Three. Yes. Yeah. It is, as we talked about last episode, due to last episode having the same title, it is a reference to Alice in Wonderland, and it's also the name of the station that Charlie and Desmond are in. Broadcast date was May 23rd, 2007. Uh, it was written by Carlton and Damon and directed by Jack Bender, as most finales are. Mm-hmm. We are going to, just the same way as we did last time, do all the island stuff and then um, the flashbacks, or excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, the flash forwards. <laughs> the the what's you say? The what's? I know. The forwards. I think, yeah, I think that we could technically split the island storyline into, into storylines, but they matter so much to each other that, mm. and plus it's a finale, so we're just gonna cover the whole island first, and that's what we're gonna yeah. do first here. Yeah. My notes out here, so. I did the recap for the island storyline. Jack approaches Rousseau and asks how much longer it'll be until they get to the radio tower. She says around an hour. But before they can keep moving, they see that Ben and Alex have found them. In the looking glass, Mikhail, having just gotten orders to kill Bonnie and Greta last episode, kills Bonnie and Greta. Desmond jumps out of the locker and shoots Mikhail with a spear gun. Ben asks Jack if he can chat with him for five minutes. Ben tells him about the purge that he was responsible for. He tells Jack that if they contact the boat, everyone on the island will die. He requests that Jack get him Naomi's phone thinger. And Jack doesn't want to. Ben instructs those at the beach to kill Saeed, Jin, and Bernard. Jack lets it happen because he needs to get everyone rescued. He hears the gunshots and beats Ben to a pulp. Down under, Charlie runs to Bonnie and asks her to give him the code to turn off the jamming mechanism. She doesn't want to, but he convinces her by reminding her that Ben just betrayed her and she can make him upset. She tells him that it's good vibrations by the beach boys. Jack brings Ben back to the others and says they're going to keep going. Alex and Danielle finally reunite after 16 years. Jack tells Kate about the others at the beach. He hasn't killed Ben yet because he wants him to see them get off the island. At the beach, Friendly complains to Price that they should have actually killed Saeed, Jin, and Bernard instead of pretending to like Ben wants. Juliet and Sawyer watch but don't have much of a plan. Just then, Hurley rides by in the Dharma van and fully mows Price over, killing him. Saeed helps by killing the one unnamed other that was still there with his legs. 
Friendly surrenders, but Sawyer kills him anyway for taking Walt at the end of season one. Hurley calls Ben's walkie and says, hey, we gotcha. Once Jack answers, he reveals to him that he saved everyone, including the three people that Jack thought were dead. Charlie runs into the room and enters the code. The light goes off, but then a transmission comes in. He answers it and it's Penny. She asks a bunch of questions, but Charlie mainly takes from it that she's not on the boat and they're clearly not who they say they are. Desmond is finally about to talk to Penny again when Charlie notices Mikhail detonating a grenade outside the window. He locks the door to save Desmond's life. He writes on his hand, not Penny's boat, so Desmond knows not to trust the freighter people. Charlie drowns. On the other side of the island, Aaron cries. Naomi's phone finally starts working, but Rousseau's message is still blocking. They get to the radio tower and turn it off. Once Naomi finally gets a hold of the boat, Locke throws a knife into her back, killing her. Jack is absolutely livid. Locke threatens to shoot Jack so he doesn't answer the phone, but Jack calls his bluff and answers. He talks to a man on the freighter who says they'll grab their location and come get them. Everyone celebrates, but what horrors await them in season four? Dun, dun, dun. The emotions. So many emotions. Such a good finale. Like, one of the most iconic finales in, like, mm-hmm. TV history, I would yeah. say. Completely agree. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, first scene here, Jack is talking to Rousseau. How much longer? An hour. Um, And he asks, how, uh, when were you last there? She says, 16 years ago when I recorded the message. I just wanted to say how impressive it is that she remembers. Yeah, <laughs> she right. remembers where it is. That's, that's pretty insane, gotta say. Yeah. It is. But to be fair, too, she's not distracted like the rest of us are. Like, yeah, that's true. All the things that we're distracted by, which is just like, oh my gosh, why can't Twitter give us an edit button? Like, that's the thing that we're worried about. And she's just like, yeah, exactly. I got nothing but time, man. (laughs) I'm like a little surprised she never went back there. Mm. Like, never, I don't know, checked on her message or like recorded a new one. I don't know. I just find that interesting. I, I don't know. I think it's it's interesting because if it was a space where she just remembers, like, not just being alone but being very lonely and, like, no mm-hmm. one coming, there would have been a real, I don't know, maybe sense of hopelessness and despair attached mm-hmm. to that place. And I think, like, if you, if you think about that from a human experience, if you have that kind of really hard emotion attached to a place, even if it's important, it is hard to go back to. That's very true. So that sort of makes she does not have to go back she does no she doesn't exactly and i think you know she's someone that she's been there for so long that the idea of putting a message out there and someone hearing it and coming to rescue her like that's a hope for her yeah that realistically died a long time ago so and she's a very pragmatic character as well like she's not a person that will waste time on stuff if that makes sense she's very practical and goes well that's true i can't waste any more energy on that so right she also is about to say in this scene as well i'm not leaving the island there's nothing for me outside this place and i don't know when she got to that point where she was like there's no going back you know but as soon Mm -hmm. as she gets to that point then it's like why would i even check because i don't even care Right. But I think I think that's actually a really key theme of the whole episode. And I, like I know there's a heap of stuff we'll still get into, but mm-hmm. you like you think of the flash flash forwards that I know we'll sort of talk about with Jack. One of the really key things you see here is on the island, for better or worse, people know who they are on the island. They know the role that they have to play. And going back out into the wider world, whether we've seen them in previous episodes in flashbacks or seen them in flash forwards, all the characters are kind of dealing with a level of uncertainty, like what am I doing here why am I here what's my purpose this it's so unknown it's scary and it's hard for them but when they're on the island they know who they are and what they're there for and so she might just be a character I think that's come to that realization a long time ago going I know who I am here this is part of my identity and I, I for better or worse I can't leave that identity behind now 
Yeah, she's probably like, my passport's expired. What can I even do? Yeah, right. yeah right. <laughs> go anywhere. <laughs> um, it, that um that very much ties into what Ben brings up with Jack later too. Is like, what? Why are you so eager to get back there, Jack? What do you have to look mm-hmm. f- forward to? Like saving people all the time because that's your thing. And like, I think for Jack, I mean, this is very much jumping ahead, but I think for Jack, he's mm-hmm. very much struggling with like. If he's not a healer, then who is he? So he mm-hmm. very much knows who he is off the island. Whereas people around him, like Locke, are discovering mm-hmm. that they're better people on the island and they don't want to yeah. go back. And that will kind of... Well, not even not even necessarily better people, but I think more capable or in control people. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they know who they are. They, they do. And I think they feel like all of these characters at some point or another go through a real crisis of feeling hopeless to change their own situation Mm -hmm. you know whether you go back to Kate you know being arrested or you know I think of um Jin even you know like that that whole relationship Mm -hmm. that like lots of people in what they feel like a hopeless situation and suddenly they're in a space where they're going no destiny but what I make for myself even if it's terrifying Mm -hmm. so I think that yeah I think the word that we're looking for is maybe more authentic definitely like they're a more authentic version of themselves yeah Yeah. they're very stripped down to they are just the core their core being you know they're the acoustic versions of themselves (laughs) (laughs) so they see ben and alex waiting for them and they're like hi jack and then it cuts to a different scene because they're like this is a good cliffhanger so down uh at the licking glass um mikhail just talked to ben about killing greta and bonnie last episode and they're like oh hey what did ben say (laughs) he's like oh nothing hmm and, you know, Bonnie very clearly is like, okay, so can we kill Charlie now? Because she's, like, bad cop and Greta's good cop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay, so Mikhail starts asking, can we turn this equipment off? And they say, yes, we have a code. Are you the only people with the code? Yes. Uh, if it was flooded, what would happen? Nothing. It's waterproof. <laughs> Mikhail's like, great. <laughs> Thank you Perfect. for that information. So he's like, why are you even here? She says, Ben said to be here. And he's like, you never asked why? She says, no, because I trust Ben and because I trust Jacob. And once we start asking question, everything falls apart. She's not wrong. And I'm like, but good? Like, you gotta question stuff or else you don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and also you meet Jacob for like minus 13 seconds and you already mm. don't trust him. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, he is, there's there's just something about him that I'm like, dude, if you were real, I feel like I'd cross to the other side of the street. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. So she's like, everything falls apart when you ask questions. So Mikhail shoots Bonnie and she goes into the into the drink and also shoots Greta and he says sorry I'm also following orders if he what does this note even mean I wrote this months ago hold on speaking of this but by the way while you're finding that is it just me or Mikhail like just observation here do you reckon costuming just went nah he needs to be more villainy yes nah 100% like it's just it's 100% where they're like now nah give him an eye patch give him an eye and dress him all in black and give him a scar every time (laughs) yep hilarious 100% <laughs> I think they just leaned in they really did like so I I think what this note that I wrote is trying to say because I said if he had killed Bonnie the mission would have failed and for some my brain says it's Mikhail's mission but I think it's actually uh Charlie's mission that I'm talking about if mm-hmm. Mikhail had actually killed Bonnie here there's no possible way for Charlie to have turned that off oh yeah at all like, Mikhail didn't even need to flood it. None of it needed to be flooded. He just needed to kill the people with the code mm-hmm. for Charlie's mission to completely not work anymore. 
And, you know, Mikhail was going to kill Bonnie and then, you know, Desmond shows up and shoots Mikhail with a spear gun. Shout out. Hero. And and he fully has a spear in his heart. Like, how does he how does he keep surviving these things? I don't know. He's so annoying. Yeah, look, it's one of those ones where I ask that question at first, but then I know the energy that I've taken every now and then to get through a Zoom meeting that I really don't mm. want to be in, and I feel that. That's like, so true. No, I could do it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I'm sitting here with a spear in my shoulder, but I've got another 45 minutes on camera. Great. Yeah, yeah. I can do this. Like, I can smile for sure. That's so true. So Desmond picks up Bonnie's gun, I think, or maybe it was the gun that Mikhail was using, I can't remember, um, but he almost shoots Bonnie and Charlie says, no, we need her for the code. And thank goodness, because Mikhail didn't kill Bonnie. Um, what if Desmond had just killed Bonnie? That would have been <laughs> very bad. And Charlie had been like, well, we're screwed now, but thanks. So moving um, back onto the island, uh, Jack and Ben are having a standoff and Kate very smartly goes and makes sure that they're alone and they don't just have like literally ambushes of others in the in the mm. trees. And Ben ha- fully has his hands up and he's like, go ahead, look around. I have no weapons. I-, I have no other people. And then Ben introduces himself to Naomi and Jack does one of my favorite line reads of the episode. Don't talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> And if I was Naomi, I'd be like, damn, okay, I can talk to him if I want to. Right? Like, don't you do that. You're not my mom. <laughs> but also, if I were Naomi, I would be so, like, intimidated, not by Jack, but by the fact that this man just talking to me is such a, is apparently such a huge threat. Right? I'd be mm. like, who is this guy? Yeah. Who even are you, dude? Mm-hmm. But you remember the last time we spoke about Ben, the, yeah, this, this was the thing. I was like, he does have that face that like looks like every time he makes a facial expression, like glass should mm-hmm. like be shattering just a tiny bit. Like right. he, just, he creeps me out. But this is the thing that I find really interesting. Like I think he prides himself on being wildly not just intelligent, but more intelligent than every other person he's ever met. He prides himself mm-hmm. on being so smart. Does he ever think maybe I would get further if I just say what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Right. Just be clear. Like, 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 be a villain, dude. That's fine. But like, you know, don't be a magic eye, but a person. You know, that's what I feel like. That's what it's like with Ben. Sometimes it's almost like a magic eye, and you're like, I'm trying to find a meaning in what you're doing, but you're just talking nonsense. But he just like, you know, and I, I, the other thing that I find hilarious is he's like saying to Jack, well, you know, you killed seven of my people, Bish. You, you're Captain Murder over here. Like, don't pretend yeah. that you <laughs> suddenly value human life. Don't yeah. just go over there by like, you murdered seven of my people. That was rude. Well, I'm sorry, sir, but tip mm-hmm. the tat. <laughs> you know what? That's on me, man. Yeah, exactly. So sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right about that, though, because, you know, Ben, and I think it is good for television, you know, but it's also like, listen, man, you're already creepy. I already think you're scary. I don't need the metaphors. Yeah. And he's just <laughs> always know? got this energy, like, it's going to sound really stupid, but it's always like, regardless of wherever Ben is, in his head, he's always doing it like he's, like, I may, as when I went back and I did, like, my review notes for this one, I'm like, why does Ben always talk to Jack like he's a TED talk that had a baby with a one-on-one Oprah interview? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. And I feel like in his head, like whatever he's doing, he's like, yeah, but on my mind, in my mind, I'm giving this as a TED talk. Mm-hmm. Like-, like Ben totally <laughs> like practices these monologues, right? He totally does. Like even his bathroom mirrors, like, dude, piss off. I'm tired. On the way here, Alex is like, why are you talking to yourself? <laughs> yeah. I'm rehearsing. Shush. <laughs> why are you mumbling? Yeah. <laughs> 
So Jack says, what do you even want? And Ben says, just a cheeky chat, please. Seven of my people are dead. You can give me five minutes. And so that kind of tells us officially that only three of them survived. And, you know, soon we learn that's Ryan Price, uh, Tom Friendly, and then some other unnamed guy who mm. gets murdered by Saeed. Yes. And so Rose and Son are like nervous because they're like talking about their husbands and you know that scene that was so it's like okay if seven of them are dead i mean they don't know how many people were sent there so they don't know they're i guess it makes sense to me that they would be like so what's the deal on the beach right so um yeah kate comes back and confirms that the only two people are here ben and alex jack says okay to the chat and he walks off with ben and he does this incredible like push and then steals the walkie and it feels so juvenile to me it really does they're like children he's like eh yeah. <laughs> so Jack and Ben sit together and Ben says, well, Jack, so once I killed 40 people in one day. That's nice uh, for you. Cool. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you remember a few episodes ago? Exactly. So why is seven a big deal? Barbara? Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> and, and he's like, I'm telling you this because it's going to happen again. And Jack's like, oh, you're going to kill all of us if I don't do what you say. And he's like, no, no, you're going to kill them all. And I love Jack. Jack's face is like, oh, Okay. <laughs> cool how i guess and he says naomi is not who she says she is and he's like she's not okay who is she the boogeyman <laughs> tell me ben yes tell me tell me dude ben's like listen man i practiced this speech and you're making fun of me and he's also like of all people to be like that person that's offering help is not who they say they are really <laughs> Sir. Really, Henry Gale, tell us more. Yeah. <laughs> right. You who literally wrote the postgraduate program that you can graduate from in not being who you say you are. Thank you. Yeah, it's just like, okay, mister, do you have any milk? <laughs> <laughs> okay my guy okay <laughs> so he says that she's a representative of someone who's been looking for this island who's one of the bad guys and jack's like oh right, right because you're one of the good guys right that's what you said at the end of last season it's like i don't know maybe if ben had like told the truth every once in a while he wouldn't mm-hmm. be like not the big bad wolf the boy who cried wolf. boy who cried wolf the other the other wolf one yeah no i completely agree it's just like well then how do i trust literally anything you say right but it's a, it's a real insight to into ben's arrogance isn't it like he oh yeah he's like he's like he's an entitled little shit with a death wish quite frankly like he just he, he has this idea that he can sort of use people as chess pieces and and move the, move them around but think that that at some point there's not going to be consequences for it yeah you know mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just, I find that really fascinating as to how long he realistically, like, it's almost like he got away with it for so long that he stopped thinking there were consequences attached to treating people like chess pieces. Oh, yeah. I think until the survivors crashed on the island, like, he was fully just vibing with his ego and like Mm -hmm. everyone was going with it and then all of a sudden there are these people who don't trust what he's saying and he's like excuse me and are making his own people question him exactly yeah 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 and the thing is is like for me like i you know i don't stand over here condoning violence but i it's really interesting watching like jack absolutely beat the snot out of him and i just thought i feel no sympathy for you in fact i hope it hurts yes you know 
you're such a monster and like you're a monster getting your ass kicked home I don't don't ask me to feel sympathy for you yeah but he has this real kind of he treats himself like he's he's a martyr you know Mm -hmm. like he's this sacrificial religious figure almost or a divine sort of figure that's you know yes I sacrifice myself no you don't you're obnoxious no you sacrifice everyone around you before yourself absolutely Mm. so Ben says if you phone the boat everyone on this island will die so I want you to go and get her phone thing and bring it back to me um I will take it and then I will leave and you can go back with your people and Jack's like, no, because then we don't get rescued. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so I give that to you and then I go back to the beach and do nothing and then we work together now? Or like what? Like, how does that, how is that good for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to need you to sell me on this a little more. <laughs> yeah. So Ben's like, fine. Okay. So he's like, give me my walkie. And I guess their walkies have just like really, really huge range because they've been walking for like two full days. Yeah, sure. Mm. Sure. So he goes, hi, Tom. Um, So, okay. So Jack, three of your friends are here at gunpoint. And that's when we hear Saeed yelling for Jack not to do it. And I just like have a swell of love in my heart for Saeed in that moment. Like he's just so brave. Mm. He is. You know, but then Price hits him and Jack is like so mad, which makes complete sense. And he's like, I, what if I just freaking murdered you right here? And I'm like, I think it's so funny. Like, every time Jack threatens to do that sort of stuff, I'm just like, sir, you took an oath Mm -hmm. as a doctor. But I mean, I understand why that might be null and void here. So Ben says, if you don't hear from me, Tom, in 60 seconds, kill all of them. Go get the phone or else. And Saeed and Jin are yelling. They're like, no, no, no. 40 seconds left. Jack says, no, I'm getting everyone off the island. Because, I mean, that's what Saeed asked him to do. Mm. Is no matter what, go and do that. And he's like, no, I'm getting everyone off the island. And I'm like, well, it doesn't just happen just because you want it to, Jack. Like, there are extenuating circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know? And so Ben's like, why do you even want to leave the island? What's to go back for? Which we talked a little bit about already. Your father's dead. Your wife left you. <laughs> and this is great because it keeps up the facade that the flash forward is a flashback. Mm. Yeah. That we're currently seeing. And I also just wanted to say, hey, what about Jack's mom? She's still alive. Yeah. She's just hanging out. I can't imagine, oh my gosh, being like, oh, my husband died in Australia and then my son died. Mm. bringing him back from australia oh i've like never thought about that my god yeah oh my gosh margo's life is sad i'm having such a leftovers moment oh my gosh yeah (laughs) so he's like you just want to go back to fixing thing at the hospital and we know that he does Mm -hmm. so that's what they're trying to tell us in the in the flash forward is that he like just went back to doing that right isn't that an insanely kind of there's there's a real kind of dark sort of poetry for that because you know that whole idea of we have to go back you know Mm -hmm. we have to go back but here they are technically speaking they did go back to their old lives before the plane crashed and Mm -hmm. then when they did that they realized they couldn't go back at all They, they could not go back to their old lives they tried to do it thinking no like this is who I am this is what I know and it took them being in it for their lives to fall apart and realize we don't belong here anymore and that's kind of that's one of the things that I find really fascinating is like for a show that has such a tagline attached to the idea of going back it ultimately also is about how you can't you can't ever do that you can only ever keep moving forward to what the next thing is, no matter how, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I found that just such an interesting thing because you, you really said, like, there's that thing with Jack about how he's just not coping. Like, even in that first scene where he's, like, standing over the, um, 
you're standing over the casket, like taking pills and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you realise like it's so jarring for him, like it's toxic to him having gone back. So yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, they're lost on the island, but they're also lost in themselves yeah. in their lives. They are. And yeah. the only place they ever really find themselves is when they're just moving forward. That's yeah, I just find that really interesting. And very good writing. This show is high art. High it, art, the highest. It really is. It really is. And it's it's so funny because, and this is one of the things, again, like I was sort of saying, like I love reviewing this sort of years later because we have all of this context now that we, because we, we know how it ends, I think you can have a far greater appreciation for the storytelling that even back at this point, all the way back in season three, you could really see like the Easter eggs that were being dropped that you had no idea were Easter eggs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love these people. <laughs> so Ben says there's 20 seconds left and Jack's like nope he's like 10 seconds Jack's like nope and Ben's like okay I'm not bluffing though like they're gonna do it even though it turns out that he fully is bluffing and Jack's like I know I refuse I can't do it so they hear the three shots over the walkie 40 seconds no. I'm getting them all off the island all of them let me ask you something Jack why do you want to leave the island what is it that you so desperately want to get back to you have no one your father's dead, your wife left you, moved on with another man. Can you just not wait to get back to the hospital? Get back to fixing things? It's 20 seconds now. Just get me the phone, Jack. No. 10 seconds. Bring me the phone. No. I'm not bluffing. I won't Five, do it! Four, three. No. I just wanted to say how well Matt, I think, plays this moment. I can't imagine the anguish that he must feel at thinking of these three other characters who mean a lot to him and knowing that it was like he could have done something to prevent their deaths and um, he didn't do it. Yeah, this scene holds like so much weight for so many reasons like for a scene with Ben in uh, next season for just the scene later with who was calling his bluff Locke mm. yeah Locke uh, yeah, yeah Jack and Locke yeah 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 it just holds so much weight for so many reasons and yeah I guess that's all I had on that yeah. But I I do think it's very funny that, you know, he's obviously, you know, sort of just in a bubble of his, like, grief and anguish. And then Ben pops that bubble by being like, oh, that really sucks for you, Jack. I'm so sorry that freaking happened. And Jack just snaps. Hilarious. I honestly love that moment. Mm. He's just like, he's totally just upset. And then as soon as Ben starts talking, Jack's like, "Mm, okay. And then just starts beating him up. Yeah, it's incredible. And after he absolutely smushes him out, he gets on the walkie, talks to Tom, and Tom's like, (laughs) or Jack's like, hey, bud. And Tom's like, oh, hey, Jack. And Jack says, I'm going to save every single one of my people, and then I'm going to find you, and I'm going to kill you. And Friendly's like, dude, I thought we were friends. We played football. Dude, we played football together. (laughs) And Sawyer beats him to it. He's going to kill Friendly first. Yeah. Ah, Friendly. Hardly Mm -hmm. knew (laughs) you. So Charlie has now gotten free of his restraints and Greta is straight dead in the water. Mm. Just straight dead in the water. So he runs over to Bonnie. He says, hi, Bonnie. What's the code? She says, oh my God, you're so annoying. Please go away. I'm literally dying and my best friend slash lover is dead. I'm having a really bad day. Please. I hate you so much. Just go away. Like, can I have not have three do- or three minutes of peace before my death? And he says, yes, fine. I'll leave you alone once you tell me the code. Desmond doesn't believe that she'll say, but... 
Charlie says, no, I'm going to roll a nat 20 on this persuasion check and get her to do it. So he says that it is my destiny to turn off this thing. And so I will do it. Uh, It seems like Ben put Mikhail up to doing that. You have the opportunity to get back at him and you have to take it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, damn, that is a very good point. That is a good point. Yep. She was deeply betrayed by Ben in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sucks. But it's really interesting that even despite the fact that she had been shot on the orders of the man that she had trusted, she still had a moment where she's like, give me a second to think about this. And you're like, yeah, for reals? Like you're literally lame. I know I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm going to annoy that guy for sure. I would have just been like, nope, there is now irrefutable evidence that I can't trust him in that I am dying. (laughs) But no, she still has to take a moment before she gets back like if that was me i'd just be like not nah, here's the code yeah mm-hmm. and no and no kidding like she has been brainwashed mm. so much that that happens yeah she's like oh it must not have been ben it must have been somebody else i don't know like i'd be like well actually i will just put in the code myself if you can move me over there <laughs> so she starts saying the code but it's like really long and charlie's like wait at, uh, start from the beginning sorry and he still has his sharpie and starts writing it on the ground which is really smart because he obviously doesn't have a piece of paper mm. and he can't really use his hand because he's going to need that one later (laughs) gonna need that space later but she's losing consciousness she can't do it so she tells him that it's good vibrations by the beach boys and that it was programmed by a musician and this is such a heart-stopping moment where you're like it was always supposed to be him always ever since this was programmed however many years it was his destiny like like desmond has said like charlie has said so many times it was always supposed to be him yeah Okay, it's I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw an idea out there because we okay. now know how this series ends, right? I mean, we do, but the listeners might not. The list. Oh, okay. The listeners don't. I I won't do that. So I won't spoil it in in that sense. But what I will say is, I feel like there's almost this idea of it wasn't just a musician that did it. Somehow it was Charlie. Ooh. Oh. The idea that Charlie was so connected to this destiny because he knew it was a destiny he made for himself. Oh my God. Can you imagine if Greta was just, <laughs> no, who is it, Bonnie? Bonnie was like, it's it's you all, everybody. My drive should have. <laughs> oh, if it was you all, everybody, I feel I feel like that would like be wildly like yeah. obvious. <laughs> that would have just been <laughs> hilarious. But like, yeah. think, think about that. Like, I feel like there just feels like something really powerful to that because you even think yeah. about... Charlie losing his life is that in in that but like he knows his end's coming like he senses it mm-hmm. but he's at such he's at absolute peace with it it's really weird like he's just like okay what's the next thing we've got to do on the way to my inevitable death like realistically yeah. that's what that's what he's doing and so that's something where I I almost think like Charlie is clued into the fact that I'm meant for this but this is a destiny I make for myself yeah which is why it's almost I a happy that. song that he has to program in mm-hmm. to his own end yeah oh that's good so Jack brings Ben back to the group and they're like tie him up he's coming with us Kate follows Jack and then Alex goes to Ben because obviously, you know, even though she doesn't like him, he did help raise her. So she goes over and, you know, he's all beat up. And then Danielle goes to Alex and she looks up and she's like, hey, weird lady who's staring at me. Can I help you? <laughs> and Ben goes, oh, yeah, this is your mom. Like, what a moment. We've been waiting for literally until since season yes. one. Yes. For this moment. And I like that we get a shot of Carl as well. Because he knows how big this moment is. Mm-hmm. Too. He's been with Alex throughout everything. Do you guys think and maybe we know this but did alex know that she wasn't ben's actual kid i she doesn't look like him at all i can't tell i because like if so she'd if she thinks that ben's her actual dad she'd be like oh like 
Does she think that Ben and Danielle did something there? That's that's uh, that's not a thought I can do. Maybe no. I think maybe she thinks she was like just adopted by him. Yeah, that makes sense that that's something that he would have said. I think she'd be a little more like brainwashed by him if she thought mm-hmm. she was like his biological child but she's right she's so rebellious against him that i think it's kind of like well i don't know biological children can be rebellious against their parents no. oh they they can but it's really interesting how she reacts like when she looks up at danielle's face there's this like moment of recognition because i actually think that was a really smart pass- part of casting I like that because they both sort of have this. Oh yeah, that casting's incredible. It's it's a really it's a it's amazing. It, they look exactly the same. It really it really is. But what's really interesting is when you see the way that Alex reacts. It reacts. It's she doesn't basically look at him like he's a father who's betrayed his daughter and she's upset. It's like just a realization that's my mum. And I think if if she did feel more strongly at the idea of Ben being her real dad, like I don't know, maybe maybe this is me just sort of inserting my humanness into it I feel like if that I would have looked at that and been like I thought you were my dad like you love me why would you do this kind of thing but she doesn't have any of that it's just almost like that it's it's a puzzle piece that just sinks in and it's clear to her and she knows yeah it's like she kind of always knew yeah you know it's like when they when they talk about the difference of love isn't hate it's indifference and I think like that not hate necessarily, but I feel like there would have been a much more energy of betrayal coming from Alex if she had have loved Ben as a father, as opposed to him just being the person who raised her. Right. Oh, it's like the opposite of love is isn't hate. It's indifference. Right. 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 Yeah. Is isn't isn't hate? Yeah. And so I feel like she would feel a lot more betrayed, and she would have acted a lot more betrayed if she was. I don't know, a bit more emotionally connected to Ben. I'm not sure. I, I went on the last on Alex's Lostpedia page and it doesn't say whether or not she knows. It does say that she was brought up with Ben as a father figure. Mm. So I don't know. The way you're you guys are right, I think, is the way that she sort of reacts makes me think that she always knew that Ben wasn't her father, even though she does call him dad, mm. but he was like her like caretaker you know like she however she never even though when when she like hates ben and everything and i don't know if this is allowed but she never goes can i go and live with someone else yeah right is that an option Mm. you know so but um yeah it's a beautiful moment between um alex and rousseau and mira does such a good job of making it heartfelt but also unhinged Mm. in like the exact right way yeah She's incredible. Yeah. Mm, very much. So she says, let's tie him up because it's our cute little first mother-daughter thing <laughs> that we're going to do together. <laughs> mother-daughter bonding. Oh, some people make cookies. Yeah. But some people aren't the Rousseaus. No. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Kate goes back over to Jack and asks him for answers. Jack doesn't really want to talk right now because he knows that three of them literally died. And she's worried about his hand and cleans it and everything. He tells Kate about Bernard, Saeed, and Jin and that they're all dead. And you know i'm just glad that somebody's telling kate something because for two full seasons kate's been like kept out of the loop you know Mm -hmm. so it's nice that she that he like kind of immediately told her that so he's like we can't tell anybody i promised saeed that we have to keep moving and if i say that they're dead then definitely at least sun and rose are going to be heading back you know right so kate wants to know why jack didn't kill ben and he says i want him to watch us get off this island and know that he failed and then i will kill him nice Mm -hmm. all right guy do it 
but then the show would be over. You can't you can't blame him though. Like I think Ben spends so much time playing mind games with people. Like it, you can sort of see where Jack's coming from. Is just going. No, I want you to know what you did. I, it's not just that I want you to die and stop hurting people. It's that I want you to know definitively that you lost that for yep. all of your machinations and all that kind of stuff. Yet yeah, you weren't. You didn't win. And yes, and yeah, I can see why he's doing that. So back down on the beach, um, Price tells Friendly that it was the order from Ben not to actually kill them. And Friendly's pissed off about that. He like wanted to kill them. When I was watching this, like one of the most recent times that I was watching, I realized that they were doing what Ben wanted. For some reason, my brain had always skewed it thinking that Price and Friendly had gone against Ben for some reason to save Saeed, Bernard, and Jin because they didn't want them to die in front of them or something. But it just occurred to me in one of my recent rewatches that it was part of Ben's plan to not actually kill them. Oh, yeah. For some reason, I thought that it had been Price's idea to not kill them. But Ben genuinely thought that Jack would give it to him to save his friends, you know? Yeah, but it's it's really interesting with Ben too. Like, I, when you sort of use the word save there... I almost feel like Ben Ben treats people like commodities, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense he's like, if I save them now, I can use them to manipulate him down the track. Like, you know, mm-hmm. this idea of going, if he ended up in a similar situation with them down the track and it turned out they were alive, then they're still there for me to take away from him or threaten him with down the mm-hmm. track. Like, yeah. So we see them and they're just still tied up. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that they didn't like leave us hanging, thinking that they were dead for too long, you know? Like it was really just like, yeah maybe like seven minutes Mm. that we were waiting to tough seven minutes though thinking that they were dead yeah for sure it was oh can you imagine if they had a major wait until the next season though oh my god right exactly exactly that would have just been like nope and perhaps perhaps they regretted it because perhaps no spoilers they do do this do something similar next season oh Mm. perhaps Yeah. So Juliet and Sawyer are watching this and there's like, there's three guys left and they've got four guns, which is one of the numbers. And we only have two people and no guns. So even though they don't have very much stuff, they're doing better than us. Mm -hmm. So do we wait until night? And what do we do? Juliet's like, we could wait till night, but we still don't have any weapons and then it'll be dark. You know, so I'm not sure what we're supposed to do about that. So she's like, feel free to die, I guess. And then she seems to have a plan, but then they don't need it because Hurley shows up. Um, What her plan was, no idea. Who's to say? Mm. So the Dharma van drives by and Tom is able to dodge it, but it fully hits Price. And on Lostpedia, it said that Edward Kitsis, who's one of the main writers, uh, came up with the idea of Hurley running over Ryan Price in the Dharma van. And there was also a thing that said if Ben had taken Richard's offer to retrieve his father's body from the Mesa in the fl- at the end of the flashbacks in Man Behind the Curtain, Hurley would never have found the van and foiled Ben's plan at the last minute. Oh, my God. So Ben sort of foiled his own like 20 years. I guess I wow. think it's like 12 years in the past. He foiled his own plan here. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Can I also say Hurley from Nowhere with a Combi is the new Colonel Mustard in the library with a candlestick? Mm. Yes. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's good. I love it. Like, I just, I, I liked, I liked his energy. Like, the thing is, too, is it wasn't, um, it wasn't Sawyer becoming this like dashing hero. It's like Hurley going, no, nah, I'm going to turn mm-hmm. up with a truck and I'm going to hit you and send you flying. No, I'm just going to run some people over. He did. I appreciate him so much because everybody, you know, all last episode and and in um in greatest hits as well, we had two separate scenes where everyone was like, "No, Hurley, you can't help us because you suck and you're gonna make us fail." And if I was Hurley and people kept talking to me like that, I'd be like, "Okay, I'm gonna go hide in the jungle mm. and hang out for like a while." 
Yeah. Because mm. he says, I don't want to trek anymore. Mm-hmm. Fine. I'm just going to hang out. And instead, Hurley says, no, I'll figure out a different thing. And I'm actually going to save the day. And I'm going to go against exactly what you said I was going to do. And maybe next time you won't freaking underestimate me. Damn. Right. But again, that that goes back into, I think, what one of the big themes is for the episode. If people, like, making their destiny is what they make for themselves. Like, yeah. moving moving forward. I think, you know, a character like Hurley, you do. It's like, I think it is disrespectful, though, the way that they treat him. Like, it is so much of his experience by others is being treated like is a liability. And mm-hmm. it's not, like... It's, it's not that he waits, you know, um, for an opportunity to fall in his lap. He's going to go, not only am I not a liability, but I'm going to go and be an asset. I'm just going to exactly. go and do mm-hmm. it. I'm not doing it to prove yeah. it to anyone I just, I just, because I am an asset. I don't need to prove it to you. I don't need to do it. And I just, I, that's one of my, my things that I love about him as a character in here is he really is a character that always shows up for his friends, even when his friends aren't always good to him. Yeah, yeah. always. And that's something that I just think is so powerful in, in here is in the sense of all the characters, like they all have their different strengths and weaknesses, but Hurley's kindness is a superpower. That's yeah. so true. And it drives him to some extraordinary ends. And I just... I think characters like that matter so much. Mm-hmm. We need more characters like that. I think that, you know, in a lot of modern drama series, we lose the good things about having a character who's just kind of pure joy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like everything needs to be so dark and it's like there needs to be somebody who sees the light. Yeah. Because exactly. there is in real life. Yeah. There is. And, you know, I think I think there's this this idea of... Because I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because I know we talk about the Bechdel test sort of at, at some point with this. But I think what's really interesting is this is actually a show a lot that deals quite potently with toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and the impact of toxic masculinity. And I think that's one of the reasons why Hurley is such a light in this show. And he always is has been is because his his kindness is his strength in in you know in amidst all of these are other characters because he's kind you know kindness can cause you have to make yourself vulnerable to a certain element when you're kind to people you know you you're putting something out something the best of yourself out precious and putting it out in front of other people and I think there's something really powerful about the fact that there's all of these men who don't know how to be open and honest and vulnerable and that's villain and hero alike and everything in between and so all of these you know you think of characters like men like Ben you know who is so you know embedded in his own toxic masculinity that he can't say a strength like he, he can't say a sentence straight Jack is an absolute mess and and all of these other characters around but Hurley is just true and pure yep. and he is a character that I think embodies hope in what can be an otherwise hopeless situation and I just I love him this is a Hurley Stan account and that's why he got a Weezer album yeah <laughs> <laughs> so Hurley starts getting out of the van but Sawyer stops him and tells him to stay in the van which is probably the smart choice Sawyer's like no no you did it great love to hear a, a sorry from Sawyer yeah that'd be nice um but that's not really his vibe um but he does call him Hugo and I I can't remember if we're out of the week of no nicknames it feels like it was forever ago so we must be mm. and so uh, my thing is that I hope that we are out of the week of no nicknames and that he's calling him Hugo because he respects him mm-hmm. in that moment so Sawyer goes and gets Price's gun and Saeed trips the other nameless guy and fully snaps his neck with his legs and everyone's like okay um okay so Saeed is scarier than we ever even thought oh he didn't miss leg day yep exactly 
And I'm just like, oh, poor, poor Bernard is right there and he's just a dentist. Aww. You know, like everybody here is like so badass, including Jin, who... He's not Rambo. Yeah, exactly. He's not Rambo. He's just a dentist. And he's like, I, I keep witnessing death. I'm afraid. Poor man. He is. But I think like Saeed, Saeed is so powerful as well. Like I think mm-hmm. one of the things as well that I really love is the fact that he is, you know... He's a man of color on mm-hmm. on on screen, and like he's, the, I I love the fact you know he he has this um he has this background like this this military background, and he is surrounded by all of these you know aside from Jean, he's surrounded by all of these like messy white people. <laughs> Um, yeah. and I just, I, I love the fact that Sawyer is, he's such, not Sawyer, um, Saeed is such a hero because I think he just, I don't, I just love seeing the powerful example of him and he is a saver and he makes the hard decisions and he's just, yeah, that's such a powerful moment there, yeah. I think. So Friendly runs and tries to get the last gun, but then Juliet steps on his hand and Friendly gives up and fully surrenders, but Sawyer decides to shoot him anyway for taking Walt off the raft. Hurley says, dude, he surrendered. We could have gotten like info from him. And Sawyer says, I didn't believe him. I didn't think that he actually surrendered. And I guess Sawyer's like, now that I've killed the actual Sawyer, I'll just kill whoever. It doesn't matter. No, yes. But I do really love this moment, even though I have a real soft spot for Friendly. So I'm obviously really sad to see him die here. Um, I think that it's a really quite a good moment for Sawyer. Yeah, I... I like that they brought back specifically that, like, Sawyer was doing that because Walt was still on his mind from, like, two mm-hmm. seasons ago. Like, yeah. he never really recovered from being party to that and seeing it happen. And to know that it still haunts him is, like, you know. Yeah, I think that, you know, Sawyer does not like being made to look like a fool. He said, when I was on that raft, you made me look like a fool, and I'll never let that go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another time when Friendly sort of made Sawyer look stupid was in the hunting party in season two when he took all of their guns. Um, and then Sawyer said, you and me ain't done, Zeke. And so I love that moment now thinking back on it that Sawyer's the one who he finally got him back for that one. Yeah. Well, they really have a long history. Yes. <laughs> and then Jack played football with him and that was just a slap in the face. Yeah. So... Uh, They're still trekking. They're still heading up to the radio tower. Hurley calls on the walkie. He says, attention others, come in others. (laughs) And I don't know if the others know that they're called that by by the survivors. It's so funny. So they're like, I guess that's me. So Hurley's like, hey, so uh, we gotcha. So stay away from us or we'll get the rest of (laughs) you. And Jack's like, Hurley? And he's like, oh, hey, Jack. (laughs) What's up? Attention others, come in others. If you're listening to this, I want you to know that we got you, bastard. And unless the rest of you want to be blown up, you best stay away from our beach. Hurley? Jack? Where are you? What's going on? Dude, I'm back at the beach. What? Yeah, I went back to help Juliet and Sawyer. I I saved them. You're... They're okay, Juliet? Everyone's fine. Me, Sawyer, Juliet, Saeed, Jin, Bernard. Wait. Bernard and Jin and Saeed, they're with you? Yeah, dude, I told you. I saved them all. (laughs) Jack is like, huh? And he's like, yeah, I'm I'm amazing. I don't know. I'm this moment fills me with joy and love every single time I see it. Everyone underestimates him, and he's like, no, I'm the best. I'm the best. I literally saved everyone. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And everyone's like celebrating because they finally heard that. Every- and Jack's like, okay, I never have to tell Rose and Son that I thought that I had killed their husband. Oh my God. Can you imagine? I will never speak of it. And so Rose and Son hug each other. And he's like, you know what? Stay there until we get to the tower. You don't need to come and like follow us or anything. And Hurley says, okay. And he makes an ET reference. Then Claire comes up and asks about Charlie. And he's like, I don't have any news, but they're probably on their way back. I'm sure that he's fine, but he can't see anything on the water. And if I was Claire, I'd be like, hey, I hope they're not on their way back because they haven't flipped the switch yet. The phone is still broken. Yeah, right. <laughs> Like, that's not reassuring, actually. Yeah. So, just wondering, and, um, yeah, so then, of course, you know, we brought up Charlie, so we have to transition to that scene. Must, must we? All right, you guys. Oh, boy. I think that this is one of, if not the best character death ever, and maybe I'm biased because I love this show, but I think it's true. No, I think, I, I agree. It's one of, it's one of the most... It's one of the most powerfully written and like visually mm-hmm. it's it's very powerful but I think and the music it really is and yeah uh, everything about it there really is and I think it's it's one of the most full circle moments you're ever going to get with a character mm-hmm. ever yes and I think it's very rare you know in television to look at a character particularly one that is that you come to love as much as Charlie. And I think, Mm -hmm. I I don't know about you guys, I I feel like there was an element of watching Charlie that over time, I didn't realise, but I got a bit protective of him. Mm -hmm. But, like, I... What's that? I'm trying to think of that saying. I don't know whether it's out of um, Man of Steel or something like that, but there's this line that they talk about of a good death. Mm. And I I think, yeah, it's sort of as hard as it is to say goodbye to Charlie. It is a really rending moment it's it there's there's a difference also between a good death and like a hero's death mm. and he dies a hero you know he's the difference mm. between them getting off this island and them not getting off the island oh i yeah. i agree definitely like what he does saves other people there's there's no doubting that i think there's there's absolute heroism in that but like if you think about charlie just in and of himself like when we meet charlie he is at the whim of literally everything and everyone else he's he's pretending like he's in control but he's his whole life is governed by his addictions and his desire like to prove himself to other people and there's an arrogance about him but he's also a follower like he follows his addiction wherever it takes him you know he follows his career and it's like he's living this kind of high wire existence and that the thing that's below him is the promise of a wasted death you know what I mean? Like he's yeah. whether it's his music or or whatever it is, it's like a wasted death and wasted potential. But what I love about character, it's not just that he dies a hero, but when he actually dies, everything about him is purposeful. It's ready. It's prepared. It's humble. It's full of grace, and he takes his rest. I think it, it's like that moment where he kind of performs the sign of the cross mm-hmm. as he dies. Mm-hmm. It's like he goes to rest in the greater good of what he's done, he's doing. And like even his last moment, like you you think he knows that he's going to die, right? He's on the precipice of drowning. He, he loves Claire. He loves Aaron. He could have said anything in that moment. But the last thing that he, do, he does is to release Desmond from the false hope mm-hmm. about penny and even as he drowns he smiles 
through like yeah. and so I think you know I don't know if you guys have ever watched like there's a movie called the the Poseidon Adventure they did it years and years ago but they did a remake of it a few years ago and it's this story about this massive boat in the middle of the ocean that gets flipped over by a tsunami and that the boat is like gradually sinking and there's these people trying to climb out and get out of the boat in time and there's all of these stories of like sacrifice all the way through and I think like yes they die a hero but there's a completeness to the way that their stories finish and that's just what I love for Charlie because he has worth in and of his his own journey has worth independent of the people that he helps mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so that's that's one of the reasons that I think it's so perfectly well done is in the sense is that like you imagine what it would be like for him seeing a guy with a grenade pulling yeah. that outside yeah. the window even when that happens he still smiles. He still releases Desmond from that false hope and he yeah. floats away in peace. And I just, yeah, that's, I agree. So that's one of the reasons I completely agree with you. It's one of the best yeah. written, best executed deaths. Extremely. I think I've, I've seen, you know, and because not every death is well executed in Lost. Like not, not every, yep. you know, but it's a really poignant moment. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think as a, as a writer, that must just be like, I often, I often think about, you know, Damien and, and Carlton, what this would have been like to be sitting at a desk, you know, under a lamp, like writing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that if, if I was Dominic reading this script, knowing that I was going to die in this finale, I would be so yeah. grateful. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a story that they were saying that they told him like, apparently, a couple of days before he got the script Mm -hmm. that this is where this was going to go and to give him emotionally time to prepare for for what was coming because you know you sort of realize too this is them saying goodbye to saying goodbye to a character whose skin that they've lived in for ages and I just yeah my hat was absolutely off to Don Monaghan in this. Mm-hmm, I just, yeah, I yeah. was just really, because I think it, particularly to having gone through a career where he was also part of one of the biggest movie franchises in history, there would have been that potential for him to only ever be seen as that character. And I think that's something that he struggled with that he mm. talked about when, like, I think there was a bonus feature featurette or something in the season one thing about when they did their auditions and everything. And he said, I just wanted to do anything else mm-hmm. yeah so that he wasn't typecast into that one thing yeah yeah and i yeah. think he really na- made a name for himself with charlie like mm-hmm. there's just something in the way he played him that was so like even though like he got on people's nerves and people don't like him and things like that he was still always intended to be like a very lovable character and dom himself is like what always brought that through like even when charlie was not being like maybe written the best just dom's charisma made you want to protect him yeah and i'm i'm not saying that i enjoyed charlie in season two and i'm not even saying that it was like a good decision to make him as i'm sorry charlie wasn't in season two i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) yeah how bad he was in season two (laughs) But I do think that it sort of helps with that full circle moment where he had to have that like dip so that he could come back in season three and end it as a hero. Yeah, it's definitely I can't think of any other show that like just thinks about its characters the way that Lost does, especially like we see with Charlie, like his death means so much. And what struck me the most on this watch. So this is now my third time watching this episode and what struck me so much is how quickly charlie after he sees uh mikhail with the grenade he instantly goes to shut the door so that desmond doesn't drown exactly like 
without a second thought and you go back and you think about how in season one he lied and said he couldn't swim when Mm -hmm. joanna was out caught in a riptide drowning and he not only didn't act but he fully lied to Mm -hmm. get out of acting and in this moment he it's without a thought like so fast he goes and shuts that door oh and there's a there's a selflessness to him yes in the, and it's and it's and it's not a self selflessness based in self-hatred either you know it's not a self yes. it's a selflessness that stems from genuine love for the people that's in, in front yes. of him and i just think he you know you sort of contrast say him here with like say the flash forwards that we get of jack you know who's just messy and all over the place and he's he's in in so much pain and in some ways it was really interesting because when you have this this moment with charlie i found myself looking at jack the same way i looked at season one charlie you know i think there was mm. like, oh wow this real kind of like because when we first meet jack jack's the one that's the doctor that put together that's done everything right and you know it would sort of you know seems like he's the one that's really got his life together and and there's this failure of a kid that's doing this over here that's just a mess and there was this incredible like table turning um that's so true yeah like i just i found it i found it so moving and so beautiful and just so full of love and i think again you know when you're sort of talking about the examples of men in in this episode i just thought like like when you were saying before about there are a few shows that write with such a consciousness of their characters, I totally agree with that because it's like they write them with such complexity, but they also honour the fact that they don't have to be perfect for them to be lovable. They don't have to mm-hmm, be perfect right. Or the journey doesn't have to be perfect for them to be enough for us to love them or to mourn them. And, you know, it's a story as well that I think honours the fact that we're all a villain in somebody's story. That's a very human thing. But, you know, Joanna, you know, Charlie was a villain in that. But Charlie can also be a good guy. And I think it's it's a it's a story and they were a set of writers that really honoured humanity in people yeah. and i think in yeah. some ways as an audience that's a really powerful thing because you know like i was saying before you know the stories that we, we get into they we take them with us they form part of who we are and i think you know if after watching an episode like this especially if you've watched it from the beginning the idea that you might go out into the world and maybe just give someone the benefit of the doubt that maybe mm-hmm. they're going through something you know or, or something in your behavior changes i think that's that's the power of not just great storytelling but storytelling that understands humanity even when it's flawed can be beautiful Mm -hmm. and so yeah I just I think this is the reason why I think Charlie's death is probably it's the one that means the most to me watching this Mm -hmm. yeah and I love I love what you said about how when he sacrifices himself or when he does this he doesn't do it from a place of self-hatred or even a place of like ego i think that's something that a lot of stories that kill off their you know quote-unquote heroes Mm. that's kind of a place they go to it's like okay this person sacrificed themselves but what did they really do that for they kind of just did it as like a self-serving like storytelling method but with charlie it's like you said it's just from a place of genuine love it's not about he wants to be the hero he wants to be you know who nadia saw him as that day in the alley when yeah he he saved her from being robbed like it does it doesn't come from a place of wanting to be the hero it it just comes from a place of love and like 
true selflessness. Exactly. And it doesn't come from a place of giving up either. It doesn't come from a place of him trying to escape his own life. And I think this is something I think they set up really well in the sense of him being so grounded in the notion that, no, this is my purpose. This is what I'm here to do. This is what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. So you've got this energy, I think, when this sense that when he passed away, it wasn't so much that he was giving up his life or leaving the people he loved behind. It was that he was going towards something he was going towards his purpose he was even in death still moving forward yeah and I thought that was such that was such a profound end to give a character that we met at a point where he was just lying to everyone including himself about everything yeah yeah the character development is real good phenomenal yeah if we go back to when we met him like i'm sure if you would have told us like this character is gonna die we would have think okay he's gonna die because he of an overdose takes it upon himself or he's gonna die because he goes on an ego trip but Mm -hmm. it's neither of those he does it because he like just grows as a person and that's what every meaningful character death should be exactly and another thing that i love about the character deaths in this show having been burned by character deaths before in other shows is that after the characters die it still matters yes they're still in the it does in the minds and hearts of the people who they affected and they're not just like now off into the ether and everyone forgets that they existed yeah no this show remembers charlie to the end it yeah. does and i think there's something really powerful in that of remembering the fact that people leave an echo in the universe like once a once a voice stops what they did in like you know i think of that line out of um gladiator you know before um maximus right at the start goes and takes his army to war he's like what we do now echoes in eternity and i think there's that idea of charlie's echo that he leaves when he's gone is so powerful in love and honor and grace that it cannot help but keep moving through things and just leaving like yes they're, they're, they're grieving and they, 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 that's a really pain because you know when you love someone or something that when you lose it you're always going to grieve it but the fact that charlie's legacy and his echo is one that is so good <laughs> like just yeah. so full of love i think that's um again a little bit like what we're talking about with hurley those characters matter and those redemption mm-hmm. stories matter i think you know that idea that someone can be at absolute rock bottom doing terrible things but if they choose to do the work and they grow and they want to move forward we have to make room for the imperfections in each other and I think that's sadly missing in a lot of storytelling nowadays Mm-hmm. So I also wanted to give a huge shout out because they told us that we weren't leaving this season with Charlie. Like they told mm-hmm. us that Charlie was going to die basically this season before the halfway mark yeah. through season three. And, you know, it's so easy. It would have been so easy for us to get to this point and have it be like, OK, well, we knew that was going to happen. But it was so good and so poignant that it was like still so emotionally moving, even though we knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's because they tell us right before, oh, wait, we thought Charlie was going to die this whole season. Maybe he He's not, you know, and then they flip it back on us. Yeah. And I remember even when I watched the show for the first time, like, I... 
I knew Charlie died, but like I didn't really like believe it. I was like, okay, mm. like I, maybe just he gets really, really close. Yeah. But like I no, I knew that he died, but that doesn't change the fact that when you watch this scene for the first time, oh my god, like it just rattles you like yeah. so deeply. It does, but I think I think the thing too is like you know I, I'm I'm really glad too that they warned us as well in the sense that they knew how much he would mean to us and I. I think about the writers writing this character like he would have been very present for them too and I think they would have really loved him and cared about him like I I know for me like with some of the writing that that I've done previously that whole notion of like kill your darlings because it makes for a better story and it grows and it's it's, it's important but it doesn't make it any less difficult or painful Mm -hmm. and I think it would have actually been very hard for them to say goodbye to him as well and so I like the fact that they kind of honoured the emotional weight of the character in preparing us and going this one's going to hurt but it's going to matter and I Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel as an audit like we've all been in that position where we don't feel necessarily that the people writing the show perhaps respected the audience, and I felt very mm-hmm. respected as an audience member. Like the time that I invested mattered. Yeah, I yeah. loved that. Yep. Well, shall we get into the details, my friends? Yes. Let's. All right. So Charlie tells Desmond to go and grab some diving gear while he turns off the thing, because obviously they're going to need the diving gear to get out of here. And by the way, have you gotten any flashes that change what's going on? And he says, no, it looks like everything's on track. So they're like, great. So as Charlie's walking up to the room, there's sort of this like weird blackout where you can tell that they might have put a commercial potentially right before he died. And it's just weird because I've never seen them do editing like that before. So it was just kind of a weird moment that I wanted to point out but he goes in he enters the code the light goes off and um it said on lastpedia pointed out that there are 16 numbers on the keypad in the looking glass so there is one of the numbers for you and so there's a beep and a flashing button and it's an incoming transmission and it's penny it's penny so did penny just happen to be at her desk at this very moment when the like little beep came off that they finally found the island and the jamming had stopped i guess yeah i guess so I mean, it's the day, so. Well, I suppose, too, that's one of those moments also in television where you do have to suspend a little bit of disbelief. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. That was where it was most tenuous for me. So she's like, hey, um, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I'm Charlie Pace. I'm sur- I am survived Oceanic Flight 815. And she's like, oh, that has nothing to do with Desmond because Desmond wasn't on 815. <laughs> so she says, where are you? He says, I'm on an island. And she's so happy. She's, like, not even worried about the fact that Desmond isn't there. She's just happy to, like, be able to help these people. Mm. So he, she's like, okay, what's the location? He says, I don't know. Also, who are you? She says, I'm Penelope Widmore. How'd you get this frequency? And Charlie's like, oh my gosh, Penny. Also, you look just like the picture that I saw. Okay, Desmond, this is your girlfriend. And she's like, hold on, Desmond, that's my boyfriend's name. He's like, yeah, he's here. She says, is he okay? Yes, he's fine. And then he says, are you on the boat? Because we were told that it was Penny's boat. She says, uh, what boat? I don't know. Your boat, remember, Naomi? She's like, first of all, I'm not on a boat. Second of all, I don't know who Naomi is. So they're like, uh-oh. And you can also tell that they shot these separately because they pronounce Naomi differently. Mm. Um, <laughs> who's Naomi? <laughs> yeah, Charlie says, you know, Naomi. And she goes, who's Naomi? Right, which is not <laughs> what he said. Incoming transmission. Yes. Yes, I can hear. Who am I speaking to? Charlie. Uh, uh Charlie Pace. I, I'm a survivor of flight 815. Oceanic flight 815. Uh, where are you? We're on an island. We're alive. An island? We're where? What's the location? I don't know. Who's this? This is Penelope. Penelope Whitmore. How did you get this frequency? 
You on the boat? What boat? Your boat. 80 miles offshore. Uh, Naomi. The parachute is. I'm not on a boat. So Desmond notices that Mikhail is gone. Charlie sees that he's outside the window and that he has a grenade. On the Lost on Location for this episode, we see that this little room was like on a stage that they could fill with water. And then there was a green screen behind Ian. Oh. It looks really freaking real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the editing is so good. So Penny's like, hey, I noticed that you like turned around to like view some creepy window or something. But can I speak to Desmond, please? <laughs> I think that the screen turned off. But I was like, when I was rewatching, I was like, did Penny watch Charlie die? But I I don't think she did. The screen turned off before then. You know, I didn't see a webcam, so I don't know how she- Oh, true. How they even saw each other. She looks really, like, she looks like she's looking at him, though. Yeah. You know? So it couldn't, can't just be audio. Yeah, that's weird. Um, So Desmond hears Penny's voice and runs, and Charlie closes the door and locks it, which we already talked about. And Desmond must be like, Charlie? <laughs> Excuse me? What the, you, like, you called me over here to talk to my girlfriend who I'm very excited about, and then you lock me out of the room? <laughs> Slam a door in my face. You're an asshole. So the grenade goes off and that is Mikhail finally really gone. There is no possible way that he will survive that one. About time. Um, but now the water is rushing in and um, Desmond is trying to get in, but obviously that would kill him. And the moment that really hit me was like Charlie's face in this moment as the water is like lapping up against his face. And, you know, you can see it in his eyes that he's like, I was so stupid to really think that I'd gotten away with it. But now here I am facing it right now. Like there's no going back. I can't even like imagine what's going through his head. Like, yeah. He has just processed so much information. Like, wait a minute, that's not the right boat. And also, yeah. I'm about to die. And also, how did Mikhail survive? And also, mm-hmm. you know, just constant. Yeah. And so the sound like of the water fades out and the music fades in and immediately I'm crying. And Char- Charlie grabs his Sharpie, which is like iconic because Charlie and Sharpies means a lot to me throughout the seasons. Mm-hmm. And he writes, not Penny's boat. And he shows it to Desmond. Desmond understands. Also, Desmond's fingernails are so dirty, but I'm going to give him a pass because he's on an island. <laughs> and Charlie does does the cross and and drowns on lostpedia it said charlie crosses himself as he dies but he does the sign of the cross with his left hand which makes it appears to be backwards as though seen through the looking glass like in a mirror additionally as charlie dies light pours through the porthole creating a halo effect around charlie's head the image resembles classic depictions of christian saints the detail it is it is so detailed and i think too like one of the amazing things is charlie's presence of mind like you know it, uh-huh. it's it's like his immediate thing is an oh, i've got to swim up get as much oxygen as possible or can i fit out the hole you know can i can mm-hmm. i get out the stuff it's it's get a sharpie right down not penny's boat like yeah you know i that's that's one of the ones where i think and I, that i love that the fact that it is reverse i never thought about that but yeah it, it really does give you a new sense of appreciation of i think how the writers consider what an audience might find emotional attachment to and how they can find that detail and work it in. Yeah, it's just, it's so clever. It's bordering on rude. 
<laughs> I hope that no one ever comes back down here because I know and I know that Charlie knows that there is no possible way for anyone to rescue his body mm. from inside that little room. Mm. Yeah. You know, I can't help but imagine it like all bloated and also the like Ugh. the porthole is open. So probably fish are going to come in here. Like, I just hope that no one ever comes back down there and has to see him like that. I don't think anyone will. I like, yeah. I think there's that there's that element of it's not just that Charlie's gone to his death it's that charlie's gone to his rest like it's really yeah. interesting when mm-hmm. you go to um if you go to pearl harbor and you go to where um the arizona wreck is which is where the, the yeah. boat is they were saying that all the men on that boat are, are where they died in that room that's so funny i literally brought this up last episode it's and it's so moving and i, I, did, did really? you, I don't know whether you saw that thing where they were saying that for the men who survived the sinking of the arizona that when they passed away there was like a gold box that they would put their ashes in and there would mm-hmm. be a diver that would go and place the box inside the wreck. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I sort of, I, f- I feel a little bit like that with Charlie is that he's gone to his mm-hmm. rest in this place and I don't think mm-hmm. people will come and disturb him mm-hmm. for yeah. their closure. So Aaron starts crying across the island because he can like sense it, you know, because babies be do that. And Jack Bender said in The Lost on Location, survival is the focus of the show. So having anybody die definitely has its reverberations. Unless it's going to be someone who means a lot to the audience, it won't have impact. And so Charlie dying and leaving the show is a big deal. Mm. True. Mm. He would know. He's the director. So Claire doesn't know what's wrong with her baby. And Naomi is like talking to Claire about everything. And, you know, now we know since we know that it's not Penny's boat that Naomi is likely quite sinister. <laughs> so I'm like, um, get away from Claire, please. <laughs> yeah. So the phone beeps. The light is green. And she's like, what's your boyfriend's name again? And she says, Charlie, she doesn't correct her. <laughs> so I hope that means that they are actually together. Officially. Mm-hmm. And she says, Charlie just got us rescued and I'm crying. And, yeah. you know, she's so happy. And I'm like, oh, gosh. So Naomi goes to tell Jack the news and Jack's like, oh, great. Um, Can you use it then? <laughs> Naomi's like, OK. But all she can hear is Rousseau's message. And so Rousseau's like, damn, OK, don't get mad. We're here. It's fine. You don't have to wait too much longer. So Rousseau is like holding Ben's leash as they're walking along. <laughs> but in the wide, it's Carl who's holding the leash. And I just think that dynamic is very funny. Like Carl is just That's hilarious. Like you put me. I'm your boy. I'm your daughter's boyfriend. And um, you put me in a room. 23 and now i have the leash (laughs) and i just appreciate that i'm the captain now (laughs) exactly so they go up and rousseau says i recorded this 16 years ago and you were born three days later she turns off the recording and takes out the tape which is a huge momentous moment we literally heard this message in pilot part two. So this is a huge, huge moment. Mm. And Naomi tries again, but they need to go back outside. Um, she's starting to get a signal and everyone's like, oh my God, we finally did it. And Jack says, okay, you know, realism, let's hold on. Wait until it actually works. Ben is like, hey, I just wanted to remind you that this is a really bad idea. Making that call is the beginning of the end. And he, you know, he's like begging him at this point. He's very, very serious about this. And Jack's like, <laughs> no. We're going to do it. I don't care. (laughs) So the phone connects, but then Naomi gets hit by a knife in the back and it's Locke. And for a second, I was just like, oh my gosh, we're finally seeing that Locke isn't dead. But we actually saw that Locke isn't actually dead at Mm. the end of last episode. Mm. And Jack is so angry. And Matt does such a good job of like the just scream of rage in that moment. You know, Jack is just like, I have been working every single day on this island for this moment. And you have been 
what is what is it in in Hamilton uh in Your Obedient Servant where uh Aaron Burr to Alexander I look back on where I failed and in every place I checked the only common thread has been your disrespect mm-hmm. and that's what it reminds me of at this moment where Jack is just like every single thing that I try and do you're my antagonist it's why hilarious and yeah. I'm literally trying to help everybody how like again poetic is it that Locke when he kills it's not a gun it's not a it's a knife in the back it's betrayal. Yeah. Oh my god. Like, it's such a, like, there's so much symbolism going on there. It's like, hope? Is it real? Who knows? Either way, it's dead and I killed it with betrayal. And so Locke also has a gun. So he's like, watch out, I did what I had to do. And I'm just like, so Locke, you couldn't kill your dad, but you could kill this random girl? Right? Yeah. You couldn't kill your dad who deserved it, but you don't freaking know this girl. Okay. Said a knife for you. So Locke is obviously on Ben's side about this, and Locke tries to shoot the phone, but misses. And Locke is like going to shoot Jack, but he says, I don't want to, but I might have to. And Ben says, no, you should shoot Jack. Yeah, you should shoot Jack just because you have to save the island, right? And then Russo punches him in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Great moment, great moment. So the phone is ringing Locke says please don't answer it and Jack's like no you've kept me on this island long enough and Locke is like fine I will have to kill you then (laughs) Jack is like okay do it you gonna murder me in front of this baby do it then right in front of my salad see if I care (laughs) Kate's just like dude we don't 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 be doing that be careful with this but Locke obviously can't do it and um I think it was all the way back at the beginning of the season I think it was 303 where Locke had those flashbacks with Eddie, who was like that undercover cop at the, mm-hmm. at the like grow up place. And it was like, either you're a hunter or you're a, I don't remember what the other word was. The hunty. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. But like we knew and Eddie told Locke in those flashbacks, you're not a killer. You're not a hunter, you know? And Locke still isn't. Mm. He kill- He can't kill Jack. So Locke's like, okay, all I can do is ask you, please. But Jack says, no. So Jack answers the phone and it's Minkowski, which we'll talk about in the spoilers because Minkowski isn't just a person on the phone. He becomes a character when we go on the freighter in season four. Bum, bum, bum. So he's like, hey, who is this? And it's like, no, you first. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he's like, who is this? And I've, I just said, my name is Minkowski. No. <laughs> I just said, you're asking me stupid questions. So Jack's like, I'm Jack Shepard. Are you on the boat? And how did you get a hold of me? And Locke is like sort of slinking away. He's just like, okay, there's nothing I can do about it now. And Naomi told us uh, how to get a hold of you. Oh, cool. Where's Naomi? He's like, oh, um, she's busy. She's in the other room. Yeah, she's actually, she's taking a nap right now. So yeah, she's in the shower. Can can she call you back? So he's like, also, who are you? He says, I'm from Oceanic Flight 815. Can you see where we are? And he says, sure, we'll be there soon. And everyone's like smiling and laugh, laughing, but it really has that really like spooky, creepy undertone. You're not supposed to do this. Minkowski. Who is this? Who is this? My name's Jack Shepard. Are you... Are you on the boat, the freighter? How'd you get this channel? Naomi. Naomi told us about your search team. About the boat. Naomi? You found her? Where is she? Who are you? I'm one of the survivors of Oceanic Flight 815. Can you get a fix on our location? Sit tight. We'll be right there. 
I also like can't help but thinking like, let's celebrate after this girl is literally dying on the ground from a knife wound. Right. Does no one care about this? Yeah. And uh, any other um, thoughts on the island before we uh, head to the flash forwards, you guys? Oh, it just kills me that Ben's right. Mm hmm. Yeah. I'm like, Ben, maybe tell the truth once in a while and people will believe you. Exactly. True. But, and, but I also think it is really, it is a really helpful thing to consider the idea that a really bad person can still make a really good point about something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I like the idea of the moral complexity mm-hmm. of that. Um, because I think it's one of the things that makes this show so well done is that there is so much gray area between good and bad and it totally challenges like where do I invest my emotional energy where do I put my trust Uh, yeah they always just kind of keep us teetering on the edge of what we can trust and it's yeah it's very well done except for Ben who I'm quite happy if he just gets punched in the face regularly yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a great spot to leave us, like the island, to leave the island storyline mm-hmm. for the season. Yeah. And, and you know, you're left wanting more. You're left like, you know, I don't know how long the hiatus was between seasons, but I'd be like, um, okay, so what happens next? You have to tell me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so before we go into the flash forwards, I'm just going to talk to you about Patreon real quick. Um, it's a service in which you can donate to some of your favorite creators. Uh, our Patreon is patreon.com slash the aficionados. And we've got a couple of cool tiers that you can join to get some cool stuff. At the $1 a month tier, um, you get early access to every single podcast. This one comes out a whole week in advance. $2 gets you access to our Discord server. Uh, $5 is 10% off at uh, the place where I sell embroideries, the place where Brittany, uh, former co-host, Brittany sells uh, pins and stickers and where uh, Casey sells candles. Casey has a beautiful, gorgeous lost candle. She sure do. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. And uh, this episode's going to come out at the beginning of August. So do you also have a quick announcement? Oh, (laughs) my Stranger Things candles. Yeah. Do you think those will be ready before August? I sure hope so. Okay. Well, maybe we shouldn't talk about it just in case. Yeah. I'm going to have Stranger. No, I'm going to have Stranger Things candles. Okay. I wanted them out before season four but that yeah did not happen that's okay so woman well, you are the complete package the, the vibes will still be out but now i have yeah sense inspired by season four so it's gonna be yeah. great yeah it's gonna be awesome i'm really excited to try them out and plus two stranger things is one of those tv series that i think you get almost more out of it the second time around that you watch it mm-hmm. so i like Full. the yeah. idea that yeah now it'll be just for like casey now adding an extra level of sensory experience it's yeah. true it's true yeah. so before your rewatch people before your rewatch buy one of this amazing woman's candles and like oh. let your senses be enveloped yeah please help me I don't want to work my office job anymore. Please let me just make candles forever. Yeah. Yeah, do that. Make this woman rich. Buy her candles. She deserves it. Do it. Make me rich. Make (laughs) me rich, guys. Come on. At the $5 level, you get 10% off of all of those places indefinitely. Amazing. Yeah. So there's that. And then the last level is the $10 level, which gets you access to our Patreon-only podcast, which is called OK Love You High. Um, We talk for about 45 minutes every two weeks about um, whatever we want to talk about, whatever our listeners want to talk about. Um, And it's lots of fun. So if you want to join our Patreon, that would be great. Uh, If you can't do that, check out those places where we sell stuff. That's another way that you can support us and also get something really cool out of it. And other than that, um, just recommend us to a friend. That is free. And um, yeah, we just really appreciate it. That also helps quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go into the flash forwards and uh, Casey did the summary for those. Yeah, I did. We opened with a disheveled, bandaged, unshaven Jack driving to some hardcore music. He's looking at the newspaper clipping from last episode and pulls up to Hoff's Drawler Funeral Parlor. Without even caring to look, he crosses the street and nearly gets hit by a car because he's too cool for traffic rules. He walks into the funeral parlor where there are only empty 
empty chairs and a closed casket at the front of the room. The funeral director walks in and Jack asks if he's missed a funeral, but the director says there was only a viewing and no one showed up. He leaves Jack alone with the casket, and Jack reflects in silence, upset, before popping the last of his painkillers. Later, we see Jack at a pharmacy trying to get another prescription for oxycodone. A customer recognizes him as a hero, but Jack says he isn't. The pharmacist says Jack has no more refills, and he attempts to give her a prescription filled by his father. When she says she has to call him to confirm it, Jack says he's out of town and to forget it, and storms out of the store in a fury. Next, we see Jack breaking into a medication cabinet at the hospital to steal painkillers. When he comes out of the room, he sees the charts for the woman from the car crash and reaches for them, but he drunkenly stumbles and falls. Dr. Hamill finds Jack and asks him what he's doing, saying that he left Jack three messages about the woman. He asks Jack to come to his office, but Jack gets angry and refuses. Dr. Hamill says the woman, Mrs. Arlen, is recovering and her surgery went well. She also remembered that when she was driving the night of her crash, she got distracted by a man on the side of the road about to jump off the bridge and lost control of her car. He says that the question that remains is how Jack got to her so fast, implying that Jack was the man on the bridge. He asks Jack how much he's had to drink, and Jack starts shouting at him. He tells Dr. Hamill to bring Christian down, and if Jack is drunker than him, he can fire Jack. Yikes. Finally, we see Jack sitting in the dark in his apartment, surrounded by maps, empty pill bottles, dirty dishes, and trash. He makes a call to someone, and when they answer, he begs them not to hang up and says he just needs to see them. He and the caller agree to meet at the airport. Airport. Did I say airport? I think I did. <laughs> I don't know. I knitted it out. It's just, it's my nasaliness. <laughs> we cut to the airport late at night where Jack drives up to a secluded area. Another car pulls up and Jack gets out of his car. The other driver gets out and it's Kate. The two share a small talk before Kate asks why Jack called her. He gives her the newspaper clipping and says he was hoping Kate would have heard about it and gone to the funeral. He starts talking about how he takes a flight every Friday night, flying from LA to random places where he grabs a drink, then flies home. Kate asks why he does this and Jack replies by saying it's because he wants the plane to crash. He says he prays that he can quote, get back. He tells Kate that he's sick of lying and that they made a mistake. He says they were, quote, not supposed to leave. But Kate says they were and walks away. Jack shouts to her that they have to go back as Kate drives away. So iconic. Oh, the end. I'm really excited to talk about this, um, especially the pharmacy scene. Um, I have so much to say about the pharmacy scene. Do you? To be honest. Yeah, I do. Okay. So the first scene that we see Jack drive- driving his car and on Lostpedia, it said Jack's license plate is 2SAQ321, which is the same as Catherine Keener's character in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Oh. So someone in the art department thought this will be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Oh my god. There's no way that's a coincidence, right? No. Like no. that's way too that's that's way too close. Yeah. And so he's listening to Nirvana and I had the subtitles up and I was like, hey, uh what what are these lyrics? Um, what does this song mean? I gotta go on genius and look, I guess. Because I was like, I don't understand this. Mm-hmm. So he has the newspaper clipping and, you know, he calls the phone again. The phone number still won't answer. You know, obviously we know that it's Kate. On Lostpedia, again, it said Jack's cell phone in the flash forward is a Motorola KRZR-K1M phone released in late 2006. So I think wow. I said this last episode, but mm-hmm. all you phone heads should have known that it was a flash forward the first time we saw Jack's phone. Ooh. Come on. So Jack walks across the street, doesn't even look both ways like a freaking maniac. And it's honestly really lucky that the guy who was driving was paying attention because he walked out when the car was like right there. Fully. Yeah. It's clear, you know, in the first scene of the episode, it's clear that Jack at this point has no care for self-preservation. Yeah, no. Like that's how screwed up he is right now. Yeah. Yeah, very off the edge, on the ledge, yeah. off the ledge. Literally. 
Yeah, I don't know. So he's at the funeral parlor, which is called Hoff's Drawler, which is a um, anagram because this show loves to do anagrams of flash forward. I love that. That's like one of my favorite facts. It's a closed casket. No one's there. And so he's like, oh, the funeral must be over. And the guy says, no, it was just a, a viewing and no one showed up. I know that we don't know who this whose body this is yet, but I don't care who it is. If no one shows up to your funeral, that's really freaking sad. Yeah. Unless you're like a serial killer, then yikes. Yeah. It's even it's it's made even sadder too, I think, because it was funny. It was a moment I found myself actually going back to the further through the episode that I got where I realized like mm-hmm. I wondered whether it was like, you know, I like the first time I saw it, I thought, you know, is it another person from the island? Is it stuff like that? And then you sort of get that thing going, oh my gosh, like if if it was another person for me I like and you went through all of that with them and then no one that survived it when you showed up to your funeral yeah that yeah I agree like that was just extra gut punch I think it was sadder to think about in retrospect than it almost was in the moment yeah exactly especially with the, the moment afterwards where the guy is like okay were you friend or family and he says neither yikes so it's like yikes okay so he's like do you want me to open it and Jack's like huh, no that would ruin the surprise for the audience <laughs> No. So Jack goes over to the casket and cries um, and he takes more pills, but he only has one left and then he leaves. And that mystery, I promise, will be uh, revealed, but not right now. Mm, no. Patience, good patience. It's not time. So Jack heads to the pharmacy to get more pills since he only has one left. And he goes and picks up his prescription and there's a line behind him, which makes it extra awkward. And she's like, "Uh, there's no more refills on here. And he goes, no, I only refilled it twice. Please check it again. She's like, I did, dude. I know how to freaking do my job. I I can't help you. So he says, fine, I have another prescription. The dude behind him recognizes him as a hero. And of course, knowing that it's a flash forward, like, no, thinking that it's a flashback, we think that we're talking about him saving the lady on the news. But knowing that it's a flash forward, he could have seen him on the news or he could see that he was one of the uh, one of the survivors mm. of the plane crash. Yeah. Um, which kind of reminds me of the moment last episode where Ro- Rob Hamill was like, a hero twice over, right? It, it means a lot more next time you watch it. Mm, mm-hmm. So Jack says, I'm not a hero. He says, I saw it on TV and get, hey, lady, give this guy whatever he wants. That's not how pharmacies work, sir. Uh, th- no, mm. maybe some other places. Are you kidding me? But not pharmacies. And so he gives her the new prescription and she looks up at him like, my guy, you wrote yourself <laughs> a prescription? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Bad doctor. Bad doctor. I, I'm obsessed with this woman. I love her so much. She's, she's just hilarious. like a random background character with with lines. But I think she's so amazing. She's just like, I'm going to do. And, you know, there are there's also something to be said about being a woman who's doing her job. Mm-hmm. And then this drunkard, intoxicated man is like yelling at me to do something. But she has like the integrity to be like, um, that's it's literally the law for me to do this. And she doesn't bend to that. And I really like that. Yeah. And so he says, no, it's my dad, Christian Shepard. I'm Jack Shepard, which is a fantastic way to solidify this being a flashback. Yeah. And like the scene later when he says, bring my dad down here. Right. They're really they're really like getting it as no, no, no. This is a flashback. And of course, later, when you realize it's a flash forward, you realize that Jack just forged this prescription. That's how in the hole he is. Yeah. So she's like, okay, well, I have to call your father's office to confirm because she's good at her freaking job. And also I can tell you're off your goddamn rocker. (laughs) And he's like, no, no, he's out of town. And she's like, okay, well, someone's going to be available. (laughs) Someone must be there. (laughs) 
she's like, someone has to be there. And also, like, if it's a family member, I have to call and make sure. Like, you could have just stolen this off your dad's desk. I don't mm, know. Quite literally. So he's like, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. And he, he honestly, in that scene, does have the look of a guy who'd steal a prescription pad off his dad's desk. Fully. Yeah. Like, he's not presenting <laughs> like, well. That's no. a 10-year-old thing to do, my guy, but I believe that you'd do it. I'm sorry, sir. There are no more refills left on this prescription. That's a mistake. I, uh, I only refilled it twice. Could you check again? I did check it again, Dr. Shepard, and that was the third refill, so there's nothing I can do. Fine. I've got another prescription right here. Hey, I know you. You're the hero. I'm not a hero. Yeah, yeah, we, we saw it on TV. Hey, lady, what's wrong with you? Just give this guy whatever he needs. Do you know what he did? There it is. Here. Oxycodone. Dr. Shepard, you can't write a prescription for yourself. That's not me. That's Dr. Christian Shepard. I'm Dr. Jack Shepard. He's my father. I'm going to have to call your father's office to confirm He's this. He's town right now. Well, I'm sure somebody in the office... Don't bother. So he's like, never mind, never mind, because when you called, you'll realize he's actually um dead and that I did this myself and I'll be embarrassed and maybe arrested about it. So actually, never mind. Don't worry about it. And as he goes, he's actively belligerent, mm. actively belligerent. And, you know, this woman is like, dude, I'm a med- medical professional and so are you. Yeah. And you should know better. Mm. Like, you should know that I that I wouldn't accept that, you know. And so he accidentally runs into a sunglasses stand because this dude is straight up incapacitated. And I assume going to now go and get behind the wheel. And while we think it's a flashback, this is a flashback, Jack, that we have never seen. And as of yet, they haven't told us exactly when this was before the crash, other than us seeing Sarah and knowing that they're already divorced. At this point, they usually have already found a way to solidify where this is in the timeline, and they haven't really done that yet. Mm -hmm. So since Jack can't get his drugs from the pharmacy anymore, I guess, he decides to commit active crimes. Sure. And steal oxycodone from the hospital. As you do. And he takes a lot. So much. So that he doesn't have to do it again later, I guess. But he's taking a lot. Bro, they're gonna notice. And in fact, he's like, actually, he's like, actually, I'll take some right now. It's been a while. And he and he takes some right in there. I'm not sure if I took this from Lostpedia or if I just went on Wikipedia for this, but I have some information on oxycodone. It is sold under the brand names Roxycodone and Oxycontin, among others. It is a semi-synthetic opioid medication used for treatment of moderate to severe pain. It is highly addictive and a common drug of abuse. It is usually taken by mouth and is available in immediate release and controlled release formulations. So it totally makes sense that he would be addicted to this. I wonder when he was given this, like when he had that severe pain, you know, Mm. or did he just start taking it? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. Mm -hmm. Or like when he, when was he prescribed this? Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if it's when he came back. I don't know. Uh, No. I don't know. He sort of, it looks like he's been down the rabbit hole of that addiction for quite a while. And I imagine. Down the rabbit hole and through the looking glass. Oh, (laughs) I see what you did. Yeah. (laughs) Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) Is that there's this idea though, that I think when Jack would have gotten back, you know, would have done the whole, yeah, I'm going to go and have a shower, clean myself up and try to sort of make sense of it. But he just looks like he's been in a descent for so long. Yeah. And like, He's, he's, I, I know this sounds terrible. His beard is so questionable. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> it's such a questionable facial hair situation. And that, that moment, like, where he, he talks to Kate, where they go and have that meeting, she's just there looking like an absolute angel. Like, don't, oh my God, she looks like, she's, she looks 
so good. Gorgeous. She, she was, she, I remember having that moment watching that scene where she was just glowing. Like, I, I thought I was. She looks so good. She really did. I can never get over how good she looks in that scene. Me, me either. And I, and I just think it's so, it's so stark how little he's coping. But she looks like it's been good for him. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. And I don't, because when, if we assume, because we don't do spoilers here, mm. if we assume that when he calls them at the end of this episode mm. and when they get to leave, because we know that they do, are fairly are like fairly close together then he isn't injured when he goes and i don't think they give oxycodone for mental pain yeah no oh no no no, no. that would make everything bad and worse that, that would make yes. things very bad so i don't know i think that we just don't know and can assume that he had some sort of issue mm, yeah but he sort of like knocks over all the files and then he sees Dr. Hamill again and Dr. Hamill's like, hey, what? <laughs> what are you doing? And, you know, Jack is like, ah, crap, this guy has already seen me be belligerent. Um, hey, bud. <laughs> you doing okay? Yeah. So he's like, oh, I'm just checking the charts. Just checking the charts, you know, see how the operation went. And Dr. Hamill's like, okay, I left you three voicemails with that information. And Jack goes, oh, uh, my phone is broken. My guy. I love that that's his excuse. Last episode, you said, I want you to call me. And tell me how the operation went. And Rob Hamill said, I will. And he did three times. And Jack's like, my phone's broken. And Dr. Hamill's like, bro, you told me to call you. You told me to call you. That's the best excuse you have. Yeah. My phone's broken. And now his um his little jacket says Dr. R. Hamill, chief of surgery. His jacket last episode didn't have that embroidery yet. So congrats on him to getting his uh, his official jacket. Oh, well deserved. Nice. Happy promotion. And he says, ah, Jack, you're really suspicious. Um, Let's go to my office. And Jack's like, I know you're new, but um, you actually need to respect me. <laughs> and he's like, okay, let's go. And Jack's like, you've got something to say? Say it out loud. And he goes, okay, I will. So he asks a nurse to leave. He says, the woman you saved woke up two hours ago. She was in some pain, but highly responsive to reflex tests and completely awake. He says, oh, that's great. He literally just took drugs. So he's really out of it right now. He's like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. cool, cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but then she said the reason why she got into the accident was that she saw a man standing up on the railing of the bridge about to jump. So how did you get to that car so fast? Why were you on that bridge? And Jack takes that as a personal affront as Dr. Rob Hamill Sherlock's him. And Dr. Rob Hamill's like, um, I figured this out. And Jack is like, I am a veteran doctor of this hospital. Do you know what I've been through? And at this point, he's thinking about the island on second rewatch and everything, you know. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Jack, how much have you had to drink? And Jack, in another really good moment of them subverting us from thinking it's a flash forward says you bring my father down here and if i'm drunker than him you can fire me which is my favorite misdirect of this entire thing yeah and then going back you're just like oh my god jack is unhinged you're messed up you're like like before when he was saying oh it's my father it's my father it's because he was lying and now it's because he's tweaked like that's how screwed up he is and so Dr. Hamill looks at him like, oh my God, dude, your dad is dead. Which even though he's new, he should know that and know what mm-hmm. happened here. And Jack's like, you're pitying me. And Dr. Hamill's like, you're doing some pretty pitiable things right now. Sorry. And he like wants to help him. Jack's like, you can't help me. Mrs. Arlen, the woman you saved, woke up in recovery about two hours ago. She was in some pain, but highly responsive to the reflex test and entirely lucid. It's great. 
But then she described the series of events that caused her accident. She says she was driving over the bridge when she saw a man standing on top of the railing, about to jump off. She was distracted and lost control of her car. She ran into the median, rolled over, and was hit by the van behind her. So the obvious question here, Jack, is how did you get to that flaming car so fast? What were you doing on that bridge? You know how many years I've worked at this hospital? Do you know anything about me? Do you have any idea what I've been through? How much have you had to drink today, Jack? <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what, you do this. You get my father down here. Get him down here right now. And if I'm drunker than he is, you can fire me. Don't you look at me like that. Don't you pity me. I'm trying to help you. You can't help me! My last note on this scene is, can someone please send this man to therapy? Dear God. He needs help. And maybe rehab. He does. So much. He does. But one thing one thing that I find really interesting is, mm -hmm. and again, like, it's sort of mentioning, because I know again, what I was saying before about you guys mentioning the Bechdel test when you're looking at this. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, I find it really interesting, because I had that in mind when I watched this. I, I feel like being, you know, my feminist mindset never quite switches off, particularly at the moment. It's quite active at the moment for some hmm. unknown reason yeah. um and uh it's really interesting because i find like i find it really important you know when we sort of talk about women having a voice at the table like before for example when you bring up the woman working in the pharmacy mm -hmm. you know, she's just a woman doing her job yeah and so there's some ways where you're just like yeah we want women to have a more equal voice or before when we were talking about you know kate just being glad that kate's being told what's going on realistically like sun and rope they don't have a single line in this yeah. episode despite the fact that both of their both of their respective husbands are being held prisoner you know all of the conversations happen with the men and happen with other people but I think what was really interesting in this and particularly with Jack being called out by another male colleague mm -hmm. I think a huge part of things getting better for women and you know things being healthier isn't just women calling out men on their bad behavior it's men calling out other men mm -hmm. yeah. and doing it when it's like you know like the onus isn't on women to to be louder than men or men's problems the same way the onus isn't on us to fix their conversations or to send them to therapy like we don't exist to do their work for them mm -hmm. you know men need to do the work and do better and choose to be better because it's right not because they were asked and I think one of the things about Jack's journey in this episode and it's really highlighted when he's a doctor in a hospital being called out by a colleague for his addiction and mental health issue behavior. Jack's journey in this episode, and particularly in this moment, it really feels like, I guess we're kind of opening a textbook ent like entry on the toxicity of this kind of patriarchal influence in the form of men being taught that the f that being strong looks like not asking for help, looks like yeah, not right. letting people in, people not being truthful until it's like so far past due or it's too late. And that's one of the reasons that, again, I love that this arc kind of appears in the same story as Charlie because even though Charlie dies, Charlie ultimately gets to live 
mm-hmm. because he's open and he addresses his addiction and he addresses the toxic things that he's dealing with. And so, yeah, I, I found as a woman watching one man call out another man on bad behaviour, I, I don't, that just, that hit me a little bit where I live mm-hmm. because I don't, I, I don't feel like men are very good at having those conversations. No. Um, and it was just, it was, it was well done and well written. And it was funny because I didn't expect that moment like on rewatch for it to kind of stick with me as much as some of the other moments did because what happens with Charlie and everything that's happening on the beach, they're such big moments. And I think previously when I watched it, I was really kind of invested in those. But yeah, this time around, I was really surprised that I went, oh, I feel like I need to make a note about that. A little bit like you talking about the woman in the pharmacy. Oh, yeah. this is a moment. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And like, you know, you, you bringing up like the specific moments that like are could use some work in regards to feminism. Like I love, you know, Dr. Rob Hamill, the guy who plays him. We know we never see him again. Mm. And I love the guy who plays him. He does a really, really does. good job and everything. You know, there's the moment where Jack is like, you can talk to me right now if you need to talk to me. And he sort of like dismisses that that nurse that's there, which is the professional thing to do, mm-hmm. you know, but it is also like uh, him dismissing a woman to go away. Yeah. But yeah. And also it kind of thought made me think of in the pharmacy moment where that guy is doing the opposite, which is give this guy whatever he wants. You know, he's here at a pharmacy. He's getting drugs. Yeah. You know, this guy's like, give him whatever. You know, he's enabling Mm. jack Mm -hmm. doing the complete opposite and he's also he's also not saying like he's a despite whatever he's seen jack do otherwise he's also observing a man being actually quite belligerent and abusive to a woman and i think the guy is actually is, is the guy behind him in line yeah like let's have a look here like yeah i think yeah if he is with his wife because i'm trying to i'm going back through my notes at the moment and having looked this right there was definitely a second person there a second person i couldn't work out whether he was with his wife so he's seen this guy talk really belligerent to a woman his response isn't hey mate don't talk to her like that she's just doing a job <laughs> it's like yeah i saw him on tv Give him the hard stuff. He's earned that. Oh my gosh, that guy's famous. He is. Like, it's it's just really interesting. So I just, yeah, you, you, you're sort of right. Because there's a lot of, like, point and counterpoint men behavior in this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I love that that dovetails yeah. like that. It's so funny because I feel like, despite the notes that I've made, I'm sitting here thinking about the points that you guys have made. And I'm like, damn. And then this happened. And I feel like, you know that meme of the guy out of um, Pacific Rim who's the scientist with like all the stuff up on the wall with all the red screen yes. connecting it? And he's there with the smoke just looking like he hasn't slept in 12 years? That's me every time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I So... At the end here, we see Jack in his super gross, yucky apartment. And, you know, we see so many maps. He has the Oceanic ticket. And on Lastpedia, it said, among the newspapers in Jack's apartment is the Honolulu Advertiser, which is the morning paper in Oahu, while the afternoon newspaper is the Honolulu Star Bulletin. Um, so obviously, I think that's an homage to the fact that they're recording or they're, they're filming in Hawaii. But I also think that there's a canon reason, which is that Jack says that he's been flying everywhere, right? So I see him flying to Hawaii, picking up one of these and then flying home, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jack is sitting on the floor drinking and considering calling the number again. Uh, the voice finally answers. And um, on Lostpedia, it pointed out that Jack is doing the exact same thing in the past and in the future. He's trying to complete a phone call. And the episode ends when both of the phone calls are completed. Ah. So Jack says, and I quote, hello, it's me in his best Adele impression. <laughs> and he says, hi, please don't hang up. I know what you said, but I need to see you. And they're going to meet up at the airport. So he drives to the airport and Kate shows up. Bum, bum, bum. What? So At first, you're like, 
Wait, did they know each other before the crash? This makes no sense of any of the things that they've ever said. Oh, wait, this is a flash forward and not a flash back. And that makes it really clear when she says, oh, I saw that you were burning or taking more people out of burning wreckage, right? That makes it very extremely clear that we're in a flash forward. Yeah. This reveal is insane. And this is insane. They've never done this before. Yeah, it's insane. I remember watching this for the first time. My mind was blown. I was mostly confused. I was very confused. I think we were on FaceTime. We probably were. I think we were. I think you yeah. FaceTimed me for most finales. Yeah. I was very confused. And then it kind of, like, it all started making sense. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, they went forward in time. Holy crap, they did it. They actually did get off the island. But of course, at this point, you only know that Jack and Kate are off the island. Yeah. You don't know about anybody else. And it's like, you know? I need more, please. Yeah, exactly. Which is another thing. It's like at the end of the island storyline and at the end of this storyline, you're just like, um, when season four? Yeah. When does season four start? So she's like, hey, saw you on the news. Classic you pulling people out of burning wreckage. Um, Also, you look bad. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I don't need to hear this right now. <laughs> Part of me's like, oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> Yeah. So she's like, why'd you call me like 10 times? And he's like, shows her the newspaper clipping and says, I thought you might go to the funeral. So that kind of does tell us that um, it was somebody that both of them would have known. Yeah. But obviously they don't tell us who it is yet. And he's like, I thought you would go to the funeral. And I'm like, dude, it was just a viewing. You know that. And so she's like, why would I do that? Why would I go? Right. So now you're like, okay, who could this possibly be that she wouldn't go to the funeral for them? You know? So, but then he doesn't answer. And he talks about how he's been flying a lot. And we learn that Oceanic gave them a golden pass so they could fly anywhere they want. Listen, I'd love a golden pass. I don't know if it's worth being in a plane crash, though. I, I, yeah. I found so really a couple of interesting things in this scene, too, is when yeah. she says, um, I've got to go. He's waiting for me, but we don't know who the he is. Mm-hmm. And so there's that part of it. But I, oh, golly, I found it really emotional watching Jack actually talk about the golden pass, about being on mm-hmm. the plane and just saying Matt does so good oh he it's such a phenomenal piece of acting that he does here and it's really interesting I was reading an article about about him doing this and they were talking about how physically as an actor he just throws himself so mm-hmm. much into the role and that in particular in doing this this episode was a really massive thing for him and that whole part where he's talking about getting on the plane and he's like, and I don't care about another person on the plane. I just yeah. think they're praying for the plane to crash. And it's just so shattering. And so like when he gets to the moment of yelling, you know, we have to go back, he's not just screaming it, you know, like he's kind of outside of her bedroom window standing on the street being like, Stella, if that's a yeah. movie reference <laughs> because I'm a nerd. But there's this, there's, it's so desperate and vulnerable and well, I just, yeah, that's a shatteringly well done scene. Yeah. I think my favorite word that he says is when he says pray, you know, mm. like I pray yeah. that we crash. And yeah, I think that monologue's amazing from him. Oh, it's yeah. it's insane, and I think particularly too when now you've realised like that it is a flash forward. Like it's funny, I thought of this moment because you remember one of the things that Locke says to him when he makes the connect phone call. He says, "Jack, you're not supposed to do this." Mm-hmm. And when he's talking to Kate, 
says to her, we were not supposed to leave. And I think that's another thing of like a villain yeah. making a point and being right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I got a bit emotional at the end of that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, Jack is like the main character and there's a lot of main characters, but this show is about Jack and Locke, mm. you know? Oh, it is. When you get to the when you get to the crux of it, it's about Jack and Locke and the amount of work that they did with the Man of Science, Man of Faith thing. And, you know, going to the very end, you're just like, wow. Yeah. But yeah, he says that he uses the Golden Pass every Friday to fly anywhere, just like overseas. Then he gets off, he has a drink and flies home. And this seems like a nightmare to me because I sure do like traveling, but my least favorite part is being on the airplane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he says, I want to crash. No one else on board matters to me. And I literally pray that I can get back there every time there's turbulence. He says, I don't want to lie anymore. We shouldn't have left. And he has this moment where he goes, I'm sick of lying mm. and before he just goes i'm sick and i'm like yeah guy like alcoholism yeah. is a disease i'm so sorry you do be sick mm. like are you okay so she says i gotta go he'll be wondering where i am mm. right and so you know immediately your brain goes to who the, like someone that she's dating right mm. we know who it is and we'll talk about it in the spoiler section yeah we do so he says we shouldn't have left and she's like well we did and that is just how it is and he grabs onto her and i'm like men stop grabbing kate challenge mm. <laughs> for a dollar stop grabbing her people are constantly grabbing her leave her alone mm. and i also i just know his breath is rank Ugh. get your face out of my face <laughs> just everything about him when's the yeah. last time he showered exactly yeah yeah and then she starts leaving mm. yeah it's true i did i did have a moment there i feel like it's because i follow him so religiously on instagram but i i had this moment where i'm like never have you needed the angel of jonathan van ness more yes so <gasps> like i can just see him now i just i have this moment where i'm just like i just feel like i want the queer eye team to show up and bobby being like it's okay we'll build you a house 10 be like i'll teach you how to pin tuck everything's going to be fine yeah exactly he needs the fab five but even jonathan just sitting because you know that you know those moments in those episodes where they're sitting there and they have these emotional conversations while he's doing their hair about self-image i'm like you need some yeah. you need some jbn so i think she uh, need, i think i think he needs karamo the most yeah he'd uh fair needs some life coaching yeah he really does he, oh my gosh now i need this episode <laughs> okay who's gonna write the fan fiction where jack <laughs> where jack meets the fab five? Oh my god oh my god that'd be amazing that'd be sensational literally bobby walks into his apartment and he's just like oh my god <laughs> what is this so on lostpedia it mentioned a couple of instances of irony in this scene um first of all that kate stops wanting to run when she gets back home, she wants to stay and she wants to go back home. And then Jack sort of becoming his father, who's like the drunkard and the irresponsible surgeon. So he does the we have to go back. She drives away. And then we have the absolutely iconic shot of the plane taking off over his head. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Fantastic. Yeah, it's so good. All right. Anything about the about the flash forwards before we go into segments here, you guys? I just can't believe they did flash forwards. Genius. Yeah. Oh, so good. And I liked that they flashed forward in a way that purposely purposefully messed with your sense of time yeah like you yeah. couldn't work so out bad. what it was i like i like how there's this idea that they would have just sat around a, ta- a table and just gone what will keep the audience really intrigued but emotionally destable like destabilized mm-hmm. like how can we just keep them a little bit off kilter i like the idea that someone's considering my sensory experience with it like tv because it's so welcome so now it's time for segments our first segment is the favorite line award mine goes to kate and jack for you look terrible Thanks. 
it's nice that he laughs it off, but also Jack's probably like, listen, man, I'm fragile. Please don't say those things to me. <laughs> and my favorite line award, of course, has to go to Jack for. We have to go back! It's so iconic. I mean, iconic. I have a candle after that line. Yeah. I mean, had to do it. Yeah. My my favorite is, um, it's not a spoken line, but it's the written one. Not Penny's Boat by Charlie. Yeah, a- another absolutely mm. iconic one. Yeah, uh, like, not, not Penny's Boat is just so powerful for me because it's not spoken, but it is my favorite line because it contains so much, so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, like, even, they don't even, they have to speak with their eyes afterwards after he writes it and everything, too. And it's so good, you know? Right, he kind of, like, looks at Desmond to make sure he, like, gets it. Like, yeah. do you know what this means? Yeah, Charlie's like, it's none of this is worth it unless you understand what mm-hmm. I'm doing right now. Yeah, but it's, it's not even just that he's saying that this is the information, that it's not Penny's boat. It's that Charlie's last words was to someone else to let them know, to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, get them out of their delusion that this thing was going on or, or to tell them the truth about something and to relieve their fear about something. I loved the fact that it was a really massive moment. He mm-hmm. gave, It was a massive moment for Desmond as much as it was for Charlie. Like, it, yeah. yeah. I, I took me a while to use a Sharpie again <laughs> without feeling emotional. And this is, like, the big moment that, like, you know, when we saw in Flashes Before Your Eyes, Charlie singing Wonderwall, right? And Desmond is saving Charlie, saving Charlie, saving Charlie. Maybe you're going to be the one that saves may right mm-hmm. but then by the end in this last scene charlie is the one who saves desmond who saves desmond and mm-hmm. that's why it's huge yeah Ugh, i can't that's so beautiful so our next segment is man of science man of faith um we're going to be talking about jack this episode jack is almost always a man of science so therefore where can we see man of faith jack uh in this episode oh 100 100 when he holds the line with the guys being captured holds the mm-hmm. like he's he's got faith that yeah i'm gonna it's gonna be sacrificed my friends are gonna die but i have to do yep. this to get these people out and he's having abs like you know kind of faith to the point of absolute sacrifice that he is doing the right thing yeah they are that's so true i also see that in like the moment where um he chooses like Locke says i will shoot you and man of faith jack says you will not shoot me yeah 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 because so much so much of that is driven by belief that he has to be doing the right thing it's not that he knows it's going to work or anything like that and to me that's faith there also, in the flash forwards, Jack, like I said earlier, says the word pray. Mm. He says that he mm-hmm. prays and he hopes that the plane goes down. So that's definitely man of faith, man of faith Jack there mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely. Um, so the next segment is Hurley's Walkman. Obviously, Good Vibrations is the code to the keypad. It is a popular Beach Boys song. Mm. Jack also listens to Scentless Apprentice by Nirvana on the way to the funeral home. Um, Nirvana singer, songwriter Kurt Cobain committed suicide on April 5th, which is the date that Jack's newspaper was published. Oh. Yeah. Mm. So that feels like it might have been... Um, Planet? Very Yeah. Mm. Did they do the thing? The thing is the na- when they say the name of the episode in the episode, they did not do it this episode, but they did sort of do it in part one. So that kind of counts. It does. How many episodes since the last knockout? I'm going to say one. I thought that Ben got knocked out by, by Danielle, but then a few seconds later, he is seen as with his eyes open. So I don't think anyone was knocked out this episode. Would we count Mikhail getting stabbed in the heart, then surviving? Mm. Um... 
that's a stabbing, not like a... No, I don't think so. Yeah, and also, um, I think we're kind of talking about, like, concussion type thing, like a head. Right, right. Head thing. Mm. Okay. Does this episode pass the Bechdel test? I don't think so. What's a woman? Yeah, never heard of a woman. Don't know. It doesn't... I mean, very, very briefly, Russo yeah. and Alex. That's but... too brief. Yeah, no, it just goes right back to Ben, so... And Ben is right there. Yeah. yeah. I think it doesn't pass the Bechdel test, but I do think there were other important things that sort of... I think, it, I think if it's just one of those ones where it's just like the complete absence of women and it's just a bunch of like guys being macho and just kind of mm-hmm. having like a pissing competition basically like who's tougher and all that kind of stuff i think that's definitely an episode where i go mm, mate that was that was unhealthy but i will yeah i will deal with women not being as vocal or as present if it's also men calling men out on shitty behavior Mm-hmm. because I just feel like that's funny. I feel the exact same way about Trisha Tanaka is dead. Mm. It's just a bunch of dudes, but they sure are having like a fun little nice time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just I just think I, I, I get really tired of these kind of very stereotypical p- people that are presented. Like I'm, I'm like, you're not presenting me with a human. You're presenting me with an archetype. Mm-hmm. And I get so bored with that quickly because i'm like mate like i I didn't come here i didn't come here for for that i want to be a human connecting with another human and i think so often part of the problem of the greater social discourse that we've got at the moment is people are talking like it's like one label talking at another label of some kind it stops being humans talking to each other like for like if i'm talking to a guy yeah i'm talking to a guy but he's also a human being and i'm a human being and there's 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 a mutual fundamental respect that should happen there and I just think, yeah, I, I, I can't stand macho stuff. It just makes me annoyed because I'm like, if I want to, if I want to see that, I'll go to the supermarket. I can see that on my front door, like mate. But yeah, I think the more that men have stories that are accessible where they they're shown, they're like, yep, there is a really bad emotional consequence for shitty behaviour where you're not accountable for where you're at emotionally, and when you don't talk about your mental health, we we all feel the consequences, but particularly the women don't feel the consequences of it because you don't include us in the conversation. So men, get therapy. Love you. (laughs) Please. (laughs) You deserve it. Stay tuned for a segment after the outro. We'll be discussing this episode within the context of the rest of the series. Please be aware that this will be rampant with spoilers, so proceed with caution. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our music is Terminal by Good News Tunes. And thank you to the creators and community at Lostpedia. Without them, we would be lost. Our spoiler song was composed and produced by Francis Neves. Uh, And thank you so much to my roommate Sam for hanging out uh, while I recorded this podcast. Thanks to Daily for only barking twice. Oh, good boy. (laughs) Um, If you are so inclined, please write us a review wherever you're listening or recommend us to a friend. Thanks. That'd be great. Uh, If you're a fan of The 100, we talk about that show too. We did seasons four to seven as they were airing. And now we're going back to do the first three seasons uh, because they were the good old days. And it's sort of a catharsis for how that uh, show uh, hurt us as people. Mm. Um, If you're a fan of... Of Riverdale. We talk about that show too. We have done an episode for every single episode of Riverdale. By the time this comes out, season six should be done. There is one more season, so uh, you don't have to listen to Riverdale to listen to our podcast. And lastly, if you're a fan of Stranger Things, we like to talk about that show too. We have uh, full episodes for seasons one to three, and then we have put out our little uh, first thoughts for all of season four, if you guys want to go check those out. And then we're going to be covering season four long form uh, in 2023. I can't wait. You can follow at the aficionados on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, and I was gonna say Redbubble. That hasn't been there for a long time. Nah. Um, mostly Twitter, but Robin makes gifts of our favorite lines on Tumblr. 
So go check those out. Uh, Our Patreon, like I said earlier, is patreon.com slash theaficionados. If you like what we do here, please consider donating because it is expensive and we'd really appreciate your help. It's free for you to listen to, but it's not free to make. And it um, takes a lot of work. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey. That's R-O-B-Y-N-E-J-E-F-F-R-E-Y pretty much everywhere. And you can follow me on Twitter at Casey Watches TV, which is C-A-S-E-Y Watches TV. It's in the link. Yeah. And Erin, we cannot thank you enough for joining us this episode. Truly the best. Oh, thank you for having me. I just, I, I love talking with you guys. And just thank you. I don't just say this as sort of someone who gets to guest start on, but I, I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts and I just want to reiterate how important and wonderful it is that you make podcasts like this that talk about the power of storytelling and the importance of great characters that we can connect with and why it is really fantastic and important and beautiful to revisit them down the track so um yeah guys as and i used to review the hundred as well so i spent a lot of time so one of the things is for whether it's lost you love or there's other shows like the hundred whatever it is these girls always have amazing conversations so if you're looking for your next favorite podcast not just saying it because they're my friends but because i love listening to them <laughs> oh please please go we love you Thank so much you. you're a gem and and do this because they just they matter and it's amazing yeah i don't get a whole you know our Patreon obviously does help, but I am mostly doing all of these podcasts because I love podcasts and I love putting them out and hearing that it helped other people. So thank you very much for saying that. That's so nice. And where can uh, everybody follow you if they'd like to? Uh, people can find me uh, on Twitter mostly um, at Speedmouse. So Speed, S-P-E-E-D, Mouse, as in the little critter that your grandmother's always trying to kill, M-O-U-S-E. <laughs> um, and if you are looking as well, I... I also have my own website, which is mythconception.net, M-Y-T-H-C-O-N-C-E-P-T-I-O-N.net, which is hilarious. I've had one coffee and no breakfast, so if that's spelled incorrectly, just look up mythconception. And that's me, which I'm very excited because I'm about to relaunch it as well, which is really, really awesome. So, yeah. Awesome. I'll put that in the description. Thank you. That's amazing. Yeah, I, was wondering, I took a break from it, so it'll be, it'll be good to do something new. Yeah. yeah. The next time you see us on this feed, uh, it's going to be our season three roundtable, and we're going to have Blanche and Leah on for those two guests that we have not had on before. Woohoo! So uh, that will be super fun, and we will see you guys then. Yay! Woo! Okay, love you. Bye. Okay, love you. Bye. Bye. All right, we're in spoilers. So, Aaron, I know that you are going to need to leave us in a second. So, is there anything you want to mention with spoilers? Oh, no, necessarily. I think more than anything with this, I just found this a really amazing episode to watch in the context of the whole series. Like I said, you know, Mm -hmm. knowing how the show ends, I feel like now those concepts of destiny like I think particularly the biggest one for me was Charlie I I really felt like there's this idea that Charlie may have been the one that programmed good vibrations to be the song that he goes yeah I love that that would be so interesting I just I just I, I really I felt that I just, I like. I mean, they go back to the 70s, you know, and if mm-hmm. Charlie, you know, like, I know that he's 
dead or, or something, but still, like, I feel like it would have been really crazy for them to have made that work. Well, I just, yeah. I like, I like this idea that, you know, all of these characters go out on, there's this idea, like, I feel like something should have twigged for me at this point when I was watching this TV show that there was some, like, hang on, there are a plane crash, like, aren't they all dead? Like, I feel like something supernaturally mm. should have twigged with me a little bit, but this idea of destiny and the part that we all play in where we're meant to be and what we're meant to be doing and I just this just felt like such a a gift of an episode because it was so complete and I think that idea of the looking glass there were a lot of there were a lot of mirror moments between characters and it was a mirror that was really turned on its face that like I was saying before you know that idea of Jack being the doctor and in control and you know when all of the emergencies happening he's the one you look to for leadership and he's not the mess and he's holding it together Charlie's the lying Mm -hmm. drug addict kid who just doesn't have his shit together and then somehow there's this massive through the looking glass reversal and I I love seeing that metaphor play out and that level of storytelling play out in the grand scheme of everything um so yeah that's probably my spoiler but I've loved being a part of this with you guys thank you so much for having me part of the conversation oh my god Erin thank you so much yeah, part of um, uh, Aaron helping and and helping us out is that she has to go because she has to go to work because it is morning uh, in Australia time. Uh, so uh, S- uh, Casey and I are going to do the rest of the spoilers. I got a staff meeting in forty minutes. <laughs> Casey and I are going to do the the spoilers here, but we really appreciated you coming on. You're the best. Any any time, beautiful ladies. You have an absolutely amazing day, and yes, enjoy this episode. You are amazing. We love you so much. Yeah, anytime. Okay, well, she's amazing. Um, I love her so much. The best. And uh, so before we go into spoilers, I did have a listener thought that Isra uh, sent to us on our Discord. I do apologize because this is for our Man Behind the Curtain episode. But since we record these so far in advance, um, this is like the first episode that I could bring it up in. Nice. But uh, I did want to mention it because it's a really good idea. So this is about um, the salt line, like the line of salt or ash that is around Jacob's cabin. Oh, yeah. And this is what Isra said uh, in our discord here. The discussion about the salt line made me cement an idea about the salt line next to the cabin. It is a belief that salt keeps demons out slash in a place. The salt is like a barrier. So I think the salt line was supposed to keep MIB out and the person in the cabin was Jacob and the salt line being broken in the future is why Man in Black Christian is in the cabin later on. Oh, yeah. I think that's smart and I agree. Yeah, I would agree with that. Or... Yeah, because it is weird that it's Jacob and then it's MIB. Or I just don't know if it would be like the opposite. Like MIB was in the circle, Mm -hmm. but someone broke that and then he got out. So you think that it was MIB in the chair? Yes. All right. Do I? I think so. Well, I don't know. That still confuses me. Yeah, because then I feel like Jacob is the one who helps Walt to be able to like astral project to Locke to help him or something, you know? Yeah, that's true. Like MIB wouldn't do that. Mm. Yeah, it still confuses me. I think I'm also just like exceptionally confused because of when we see Christian slash MIB like in the cabin later. Yeah. I think that's kind of throwing me off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's was right. So let's go into spoilers for the island storyline. Um, The first one I have is just the part where Ben says, you just want to go back to fixing things at the hospital. And we know that he does at the beginning, beginning of season four. We see that Jack does just straight go back to working at the hospital. Yeah. Man's got to fix. It's his thing. And okay. Island. 
uh, Charlie asks if Desmond has gotten any flashes and he says, no, maybe I'm wrong, but does Desmond ever get any more flashes ever again? I don't think so. Because this is not like the constant flashes, obviously. Those are a completely different thing. Right, 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 right. That Those are very different. But I'm like, does he ever get any future, like future seeing flashback flashes again? For some reason, I can't remember any other ones. I don't think he does. I think maybe like once he, maybe once Charlie dies, it like they just stop. Well, I think that's part of the reason is why Charlie walks in there thinking everything is fine and fixed and everything is because he says, I saw Claire getting on that helicopter. And then for some reason, his flashes stop before he sees that that's changed because Claire doesn't get on that helicopter. Right. So I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe I'm wrong. And he does have a flashback or another flash. I don't remember. Yeah, I can't think of one. Penny hears about the survive, uh, how Charlie is one of the Oceanic Flight A15 survivors, and she looks like so happy about this. And I'm like, I bet she knows that it was her dad that put that plane down there. And she's probably like, oh my gosh, these people are alive. Oh yeah, probably. And she like, it's probably so happy because even though she hasn't found Desmond because she hasn't heard Charlie say his name yet, at least she's like going to help save these people. Right. Right. I think that's correct. See if I've got anything else here. Naomi isn't dead yet. She's lying there speared, you know? Yeah, as you do. And that kind of reminds me of, like, it's reminiscent of Mikhail. Yeah. And I wonder if, I wonder if that was a hint, but I don't think, no, it wouldn't. Oh, I see what I meant. (laughs) Sorry. I was like, (laughs) I was like, I wonder if that's a hint, us being able to see that Mikhail isn't actually dead. But what I meant, because that doesn't freaking make sense, is that we saw Mikhail speared and then he wasn't dead. And so I'm wondering if Naomi lying there speared could be a sign to us to tell Uh, us that Naomi isn't actually dead. Right. Maybe. But unfortunately for her, she She dies like next episode. Only only has one life and not nine. She's got to live a big time. We talked to Minkowski. George Minkowski is my favorite person we meet on the freighter. I'm not talking about people who are from the freighter because obviously I love Dan. But he's the right. one of my favorite person that we meet on the freighter. Um, yeah. I love him. Just a just a quirky little man. And also, they clearly hadn't cast him yet because that's not his voice. No. That's not Minkowski. That's not our friend. And I love that we get to see Minkowski in the freaking, in the freaking flash for, or the flash sideways and everything too. Ugh. Oh my God, I know. I love it. That's crazy. I mostly have stuff for the flash forwards. Do you have anything else for the island storyline? Um, nothing else for the island. Yeah, no. It's freaking Locke. It's Locke's funeral. It sure is, isn't it? And no one shows up to Locke's funeral because everyone who cared about him before the crash thought that he was already dead. Every time I think about this, I just cry. That man's life was a tragedy to the very end. And then everyone who cared about him on the island just didn't show up. Just not everything about him is so sad. Literally to the end. Literally. He's such a tragedy. I just, and then like later, I think it's like mm, season four, five finale or something when we see kate who has just heard we have to go back and then she like backs up and comes in and he's like it's for jerry jeremy bentham and she's just like why would i even go to that why would you think i would go to that and i'm like because he was your friend i don't know it just makes me so sad he was a good man like and it's crazy that this is still like sitting here in the season four finale we still don't know who was in the coffin you know we don't learn until oh yeah season five or maybe we do learn in the season four finale. I can't that I'm remember about it, but you know it's just like, we have to wait a whole nother season before we figure out. I mean, yeah, given this season, the next season is quite short. Yeah, uh, it's only been like a few days in the flash forwards because they like go and take Locke's body and all that stuff. But you know they had those 
advertisements that were telling us like, oh, who could it be? And there was like Desmond right. and there was Sawyer in there and everything. You know, Jack saying or that guy saying friend or family and Jack saying neither. I believe that's Sawyer. Yeah. You know, that yeah. could be Sawyer for sure. I definitely would believe that. 100%. It's so crazy like watching it back now because now you can kind of see like everything that points to it being Locke. And I was so kind of like shh taken aback Mm -hmm. when there was the parallel between Locke telling Jack, you're not supposed to do this, Jack. And then Jack and Kate, when they were together, Jack going, we weren't supposed to leave. Because I feel like that's a huge, like, indication, like, oh my god, that's Locke in there. Like One of the most incredible things that this show ever did was start with Jack as an adamant man of science and Locke as an, an adamant man of faith. And then by the end, they've switched. You know, and I know that it's not Locke anymore. It's Man Man in Black, obviously. Mm -hmm. But Jack's character development of becoming a man man of of faith. And it starts here. Because of Locke. You know, yes. And it starts here. When he comes back is when that and when that is when that starts. And we're seeing the beginning of that here. And yeah. Yeah, I just love it. It's so masterful. Yeah. Amazing. There are so many... I mean, it makes sense because, like, this is officially the halfway point of the series. Mm -hmm. But, like, there are so many important character shifts that happen like in this episode particularly like we finally see like people's faith in ben like starting to crumble and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um his kind of hold on everyone falling apart and we see jack really being tested by his like belief in like in his man of science-ness and we see Locke being tested and like there are just so many important character points happening at this point so in the in the last scene here, you know, we have that scene, that part where Kate's like, why would I even go to that funeral? And it's like, maybe because he was your friend, but okay. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I wanted to mention was uh, Kate saying, I got to go. He'll be wondering where I am. And of course, my brain. Oh, yeah. and, and they're trying to get you to think Sawyer, right? Like, oh. I certainly thought Sawyer. In the future, <laughs> right. In the future, Kate has finally made her decision on the love triangle and she's with Sawyer now. Obviously, we know Sawyer didn't even make it off the island. And... Uh, she's talking about Aaron, which is another yeah. huge twist. Yeah. Huge twist next season. Mm-hmm. Another thing I wanted to mention that I thought of while we were talking was the part where Jack says, I don't care about anyone else on board. I just want it to crash. And this reminds me, oh, in season five, Hurley, when they're going to go on the Ajira 316 flight mm-hmm. and all the Oceanic Six are coming, they all know basically that it's going down. You know, it's not up to Saeed. <laughs> Saeed's like, I can't believe I'm here and now this is happening. Everyone mm-hmm. else mostly knows. But Hurley comes and he buys every single other seat on that flight. Oh my God, that's right. So that he can save every other person who's on there that he possibly can. Oh my God, that's right. And so the juxtaposition between Jack being like, I don't care about anybody else on board and Hurley being like, I hope no one else joins. I will buy every single seat on this plane. Incredible. I loved that. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. The last thing we have is him saying we have to go back and she drives away. And I believe it's in the season four finale where Kate hears that and then immediately like drives backwards and comes back. So I guess she heard him say it like the first time. Yeah. So my headcanon basically is that she was like, "Ugh, I have nothing to say to you. She gets out. And then she, once she gets in the car, she's like, actually, I do have something to say. And she like goes and yells <laughs> about it. Um, but yeah, incredible finale. Yeah. One of the, one of the best. 
Amazing. I can't believe, I mean, we started season three like two years ago. That's insane. I can't believe that. Yeah. So we've got a round table coming and then we're going to be doing the spoilers sections as always after a season. And then me and Casey are going to cover the webisodes, the missing pieces. So go and check those out on, I believe they're all on YouTube. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I still have not watched them. So (laughs) Oh, this will be fun. They are they are canon, so that's why we're going to be talking about it. I them. think I've seen maybe one. Mm-hmm. All right, well, great. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, here is where we would usually thank our guest, but obviously Erin has already left. Um, but now that she's not here to uh, be humble about it, she truly saved my ass, and I think she's incredible and amazing. I love her so much. She's the best. She's the best. The best human being. So true. You will not find a kinder human. Mm-hmm. Like, I literally, I was in such a crunch. And I was like, can you help? And she was like, sure. And she literally came and did this at 7 a.m. on a Monday morning and was late to work about it. Like, I cannot believe that. Amazing. There's like no one I would do that for. Literally like two days after her birthday too. Like Literally. Um, so thank you so much to Erin. If you guys want to follow her, you can find uh, her information in the description. And you can fo- also find uh, me and Casey's information in the description. Uh, follow us at The Aficionados all over the place. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash The Aficionados. And uh, yeah, we love you guys so much. Thank you so much for joining us for another season. And you're the best. Okay, love you. Bye. Okay, love you. Bye. That's for taking the kid off the raft. <laughs>